Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Conrad. There's been a busy uh, time, and things are good. A lot of wrestling going on, so uh makes me happy, so I'm good. Hope you are, too. You hope yeah. you are, too. I'm great, man. I, uh, I do want to have a follow-up though. Of course on last week's show, uh, we briefly touched on WrestleMania and you said you didn't watch a minute of it, but I've talked to you since, and you had a chance to catch a few minutes. So better yeah. late than never. What'd you think of WrestleMania, dude? Uh, I thought it was a hell of a production, quite frankly, considering the inclement weather that you can't beat mother nature. She doesn't do any jobs. Right. And she proved that once again, uh, especially Saturday of, of WrestleMania. So, uh, I thought in with a, with a bad hand dealt to WWE, they, they came through it with, uh, as good as they possibly could, uh, considering the conditions. Uh, I, I didn't watch all of WrestleMania both nights. I have to, I will fully admit that, but I did, uh, watch it, uh, both nights sporadically. I had some company here and I had, you know, people in and out from time to time. So I, kind of split my attention to two different areas. And, uh, but I thought it was good. You know, I thought, I thought the booking of, uh, uh, Bianca Belair and, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Sasha Banks. Yeah. Sasha. I love her work. I apparently I don't because I could had a brain fart. I thought they did a phenomenal job, had a great match. I, I wasn't real sure that, that, uh, Bianca Belair was going to be WrestleMania in ring ready to be fully transparent. And, but, uh, they did, a, they did a phenomenal job, had a really emotional match. I thought it was really good. And, uh, you know, Bianca Belair is probably it within the top. She's probably one of the top two or three, four, whatever, just raw athletes on the roster, male or female, you know, she was a track star division one. Uh, Tennessee and other places. So she's a great athlete. And, uh, I thought they did fine. I, I liked, uh, I, I was, I'm glad they had some, some pretty decent finishes. I thought, uh, you know, I liked, I liked, uh, uh, McIntyre and, uh, Bobby Lashley McIntyre, just really, really good. Yeah. Not to say that Bobby Lashley isn't qu quite frankly, but McIntyre really was a straw that started to drink in that match. So I enjoyed that. I thought that the, uh, the, uh, triple threat match on Sunday night was exceptional. Yeah. Enjoyed that a lot, but overall I admired the hard work that everybody put in, you know, the crew working in the rain and getting all these things done and the wind was a, a enemy. So I, I thought they did a good job for us, man. And I'm glad that, that, uh, it went off as well as it did. Uh, you know, I, I, they did what 25, they had the seated for what? 25,000. Yeah. I think it was 25 or 26,000 somewhere in there. Yeah. And they looked like they'd sold those tickets. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. So that was good. Yeah, the thing about it is that, you know, uh, and, and a lot of my, uh, critics, I don't understand that we're able to talk about other wrestling business other than just me talking about AEW. Um, but the, the deal is this. The better WrestleMania does and recapturing the imagination of the wrestling fan, it trickles down to everybody else. It does. So, uh, if, if people are against 
us at AEW or they're against WWE for whatever their reasons may be. That's their call. But really in the, in the big picture, uh, the better events like that do, the more everybody can, uh, uh, you know, attach themselves to that momentum. So I thought they did a nice job and, uh, uh, and, and so congratulations to them and for putting on, uh, a, a, a two, two, two nights back to back. That's just not easy to book. No. Uh, because you got all these politics. Who's going to go first? Who's going to last? Who do you follow? Who do I follow? Uh, all this stuff. And you got to keep the matches unique and different. So that takes some compromise and some debate somewhat. So but I, 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 I thought they did a nice job and, and, uh, you know, I, I thought that some of the audience was a little hard on Michael Cole for having a couple of mistakes. You know, this, this damn job, Conrad is not easy, right? You know, if you think about it in, in logic and think about logically, you know, to do a two or three hour show without a script with not, you know, you're not reading lines, you're creating lines, you're creating the content. Uh, you're bound to make a mistake here, there, and yawn. And because of social media, uh, a lot of the fans are just have no patience. They, oh, you made a mistake. Yeah. And what is your point? Right. Are you pointing out he's human? You know, I make plenty of them. And then, of course, when you make a mistake, everybody calls for your, your head. Oh, they got to get rid of JR. They got to get rid of this guy. Get rid of that guy. Okay. Easy Einstein. You got to be shitting me. This is what are you basing us on here? How old are you? 12? You know, what do you got? You know, 19 Twitter followers and you're going to be an expert and tell me how to do my job. You can make suggestions, but, uh, you, you only go so far with that logic, I think Conrad. So it's a tough time to be on television with, uh, the, uh, digital Im imprint that's there because everybody knows more than they've ever known. The curtain's been pulled back vividly. So now everybody's a quasi booker and, uh, it's just, sometimes it's not fair, quite frankly, but, uh, then Cole, uh, I saw where Cole is, you know, they got a new money, not raw guy. Oh yeah. What do you think of him? Nice guy. I've met him a time or two. I know he follows me on Twitter. And I follow him too on Twitter. Nice. He's a nice kid and he's a good fan. And, uh, I think that will help him eventually, but he's finding out. I'm sure like he's probably would tell you today that. This job ain't easy. There's right. big shoes to fill and, uh, it's, you know, it's a key role. I just don't, I just don't look at raw as a flagship show anymore. Uh, it used to be, but it's not any longer. I think, uh, they, they've hung their hats fir firmly with Fox and, uh, and Fox will have maybe have a little bit more to say on who the announcing is going to be done by, but, uh, Adnan did a nice job. He's just in a tough spot, man. The wrestling fans are not going to give him any breaks, none. And that's unfortunate. Give him time. Just give him time to let him settle in his role and, uh, and do a storytelling. So, uh, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, you got to have the chemistry with your partners. Your partners have got to have talent. They got to understand how to take care of you. Especially he's, he's so green and, and, uh, no matter if he's a big fan or not, Connie, he's got to, he's got to adjust. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's a harder, it's harder to go out and do that job than it is. So well, I'm a big fan. So I've always been a fan. Well, okay. Well, there's about probably there's millions of people out there that have the same qualifications, except he was at ESPN and MLB and 
he's got broadcast experience, which I'm, I'm sure uh, helped him get his gig. So, you know, they're making some changes. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, we're, we're making some changes also. Not in the, we're going to add any more content uh, here sooner than later with another show. But, uh, and we're getting our schedule together. Looks like we're going back on the road pretty, pretty aggressively beginning in July. So, uh, and getting back in front of a live audience is a blessing. I can't wait. Uh, it'll help everybody's work. It just, you can't help but feed off the adrenaline of the people, or the audience that's surrounding you. So it should be cool, but, uh, it was good. And, uh, what else did I have on my mind on that deal? Oh, we should probably acknowledge, you know, your great close personal friend, uh, was inducted into the WWE hall of fame. We didn't mention it last week. I just got the vibe. You wanted to sort of move on, but. Dr. Death now in the hall of fame, a legacy inductee Yeah, didn't get the full, uh, the full Monty induction, so to speak, but it's always nice to be acknowledged. And, uh, I'm sure his family was happy to see that. I think they were. And, uh, you know, a doc, doc will always have a, a place in my heart. You know, he's like a little brother from day one, uh, cause Watts kind of gave me the responsibility of. I don't want to say take care of him, but help him acclimate yeah. and not uh, shoot himself in the foot because he's out there on the road and, and trying to fit in with the boys. And, uh, but he, I was very happy to hear that, that announcement. And, uh, I didn't see it. I didn't know it was happening. I wish I'd have known. I'll go back and catch the, uh, some footage of it. Uh, cause I think they used some, one of my calls in this match. His induction. I was also very pleased and, and humbled that Glenn Jacobs actually wove me into his Hall of Fame speech. Yeah, that was very nice. Yeah. And he apologized for burning me up. <laughs> <laughs> Medium rare. So uh, I love Glenn. There's no better, we've never hired a better citizen than Glenn Jacobs. Uh, you know, he's, he's the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. He's running for re election. If I lived there, I wouldn't. I'd be the first person at the, at the, at the polls. Cause I believe in him that strongly as a human being, as a good person. Uh, and he did great with his, his gimmick. Once we found the right gimmick, it wasn't, it wasn't automatic. It wasn't from day one, but he endured. He yeah. stayed with, stayed his course and kept his attitude. Good, great team player. And I think that also was just a reflection of his own personal uh, integrity, character, so forth. And he was very influenced by Undertaker. You know, that was Undertaker Meg Kane. Right. And uh, so then when you're around a guy that much, either in tags, or the Brothers of Destruction, or whatever it may be, and then opponents, you can't help but uh, you can't help but be influenced in a positive way by the dead man. So it's good. We talked about that with Mick Foley. So it's funny how certain wrestlers take other wrestlers under their wing that they like, they see potential in, and they go the distance with them. And certainly Undertaker did that with Mick Foley, uh, which I'm sure we'll, when we do our next Mick Foley show, we'll, we can talk more about that. But, uh, you know, the stuff with Kane was just terrific. And, uh, I, I thank the world of him. And of course, doc is like a family member. So it was all those things like that helped make WrestleMania better for me, uh, because it showed a more of a human side in, from the company. And that they are allowed, some of those guys are allowed to express themselves in their short, but, uh, impactful 
uh, acceptance speeches. So it was all, all good, all good. I admire the fans that watched all of it, all of WrestleMania both nights, and then watched three hours of Raw. Good gosh almighty. That's a, that's a challenge now. I don't care who it was, what company it is. It's just a challenge. So anyway, uh, all good stuff. And uh, we're coming on to a really important time for us in AEW. So as I said, we're going back on the road, which I can't wait. Even though I like doing our shows, we're going to still do a lot of shows here in, in Jacksonville, at Davis Place. But you know, getting back out on the road and and uh, hitting the hitting some real nice venues that have already had, they've had some of these people have had held tickets yeah. for these postponed events, Conrad, for over a year. So consequently, uh, I expect an amazing, uh, you know, uh, ambiance and atmosphere. And that's going to help everybody involved, including your old fat friend here. Uh, I love that. I love that stuff. I love the crowd and, and they feed, we feed off them and it's really cool. So, uh, I'm sure, uh, AEW will be releasing their schedule. I actually have seen it. It's very aggressive, but it's, it's very exciting. So hopefully it'll be out. It'll be something really, uh, everybody to look forward to. So much like the show with John Cena today. And I'm fired up about this one. That is our topic today. John Cena's 2006 next week. We're going to be back talking about backlash 2001. And don't forget, if you haven't already, you can go join us over at adfreeshows.com and get all these shows early and ad free, including the brand new round table from Jacksonville with Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, and Eric Bischoff. It's a barrel of laughs, but let's jump into our topic. John Cena, 2006, he was the face that runs the place for a decade. And as we're recording or as this airs rather tomorrow, April 23rd is his birthday and he's only 44 years old. (laughs) Uh, that is not an old person in the wrestling business, but my gosh, how much did he accomplish before that age? Yeah, he was, uh, he was always a keeper. You know, Uh, I saw him first, the first time in, uh, UPW company owned by run by Rick Bassman out there in Southern California. He had kind of a sting look, you know, the, the flat top bleach blonde, all jacked up guy. But I, I've, I might've mentioned this before in our shows, you know, what really sold me on John was not, you know, I, we knew, I knew when I watched him work it then that he, he needed a lot of work. He needed, he needed to more reps, if you will. But when I talk with him, I found a historian and a real deep rooted wrestling fan. So he, he was aware of a lot of talents and what made them great and things of that nature. So I thought, well, we got a, we got a guy here. And I remember taking, I told you the story about taking a red eye home and going straight to the office. I was so excited about getting him committed, uh, that I went to the office and caught Vance at about 10 o'clock in the morning, something like that. And, uh, I was, I was, uh, after sleeping on the plane, I was looked probably looked a little disheveled and, uh, I said, I've just signed a talent that I believe will headline WrestleMania within five years. And he said, you need to go home and take a shower. <laughs> okay. Aren't you excited a little bit? You know, but I was effusive. I thought, you know, we good character guy, great body athlete. You know, you, you got to love those little offensive linemen. And he was a hell of a center. He was a small college, all American and, uh, just a great team captain. All those things count for me. 
you JR's a mark for football. JR's a mark for this. You want a guy that fits well into the locker room. You want a guy that's been recognized by his teammates and his peers as a leader. And, and John was, so, uh, I'm, uh, I was always, I didn't know he'd go as far as he did. Conrad, I ain't going to be some, I got a crystal ball here, but I thought he was special. And as it worked out, luckily for everybody, he was special. Let's jump into it. Uh, the 2006 run is what we're discussing today. And the first Monday night raw of the year sees John Cena main eventing with Kurt Angle in a non-title first blood match that sees Angle wind up victorious. It turns into a schmoz with Carlito, Davari, Chris Masters, Kane, and finally Shawn Michaels all running out. And the show goes off the air with Cena hitting the FU on Shawn Michaels. Let's talk about that for a minute. The use of blood on Monday Night Raw. I don't know that we would see that very often these days, but in the old school, that was uh, uh, an almost go-to whenever you knew, hey, we need a hot angle. What if we could turn the volume up and involve the use of quote-unquote color? When do you remember that first falling out of fashion with WWE? Not long after this. Not, there was a, there was a, uh, the intent was to get away from the gratuitous violence and the off the blue humor, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And be a little bit more family friendly. So the ruthless aggression in this era, what it was called, was simply a search for something to replace the attitude era. Right. That's all that was. And uh, so consequently, I think. Uh, after, after that, the use of blood was very, uh, selected. It's very not, it wasn't overused. So, uh, and, and Vince always had a soft spot for some guys who needed or wanted <coughs> to do color for their angles. The thing about blood is that if you don't overuse it, it's not like the eighties or the seventies, uh, if you don't overuse it, Conrad, then it's a, it's a great dramatic effect. It will. Oh, look at that. Oh, look, he's hurt. Uh, you know, it's like the, I would suggest to you that, uh, in that match we had on AEW several weeks ago now with Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa, that the use of blood in that women's match was a shock and got people talking and uh, mostly in a good way. But it, it exhibited and demonstrated the violence and the aggression that the women had. And so, uh, but if we did that every week, it would mean nothing. So luckily, I think that we're in a situation where we're not going to overuse it. But I, and I, and I know WWE is in that mindset too about this time. So it was anything that we could do to keep the show edgy, but not attitude era-ish. So, uh, but somewhere right around this time. And there was still blood, don't get me wrong, but it was very selective. It was very, very, uh, it had to be a right place, right time for it to work. And, uh, cause they wanted to get the, they, everything was all about the sponsors and you can't blame them for that. You know, we, we love our sponsors here. We take right. care of them, but if, if we were doing something that was so heinous that it was offending our sponsors, uh, we, I, I'm, I, I would, if you asked me for my vote, I said, well, let's change a little bit. Let's tweak what we're doing because let's take care of our sponsors. 
Well, they keep us on the air, quite frankly. So, uh, in any event, uh, it was a, it was a, uh, about this time we started pulling back on the, the use of blood, but we didn't eliminate it totally. Let's talk about new year's revolution. Uh, it's the first uh, raw pay-per-view we would see Cena defend the WWE title against Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, Carlito, Chris masters, and Kane. You're not a part of the commentary team. This is Joey styles, Jonathan coachman and Jerry Lawler on the show. You had uh, been taken off the air the prior year due to your colon issue. And it was reported that even though you weren't on the air, you're still working backstage helping produce. Were you at this show? How was this commentary team to produce? Where was the show at? Let's look. I can't remember. I, I remember them better. I'm sure I was. It was in Albany, New York. Yeah. That'd been a car trip from where I lived to stand in uh, Norwalk. Uh, yeah, well, it was just a way of staying connected, staying on the team, st staying involved, participating, contributing. Uh, and I certainly had a different style of producing talent than they were perhaps accustomed to, uh, with Vince doing it. So, uh, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed helping the guys and, and, uh, I didn't scream at them. I didn't yell at them. I didn't interrupt them in mid sentence in a live show. But I, we prepared well together and we, I'd feed little things here, there and yawn, but it was, it was fun. I enjoyed doing that. I, 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 that's a, it kept me back in the game because I sat home, man, already battling facial paralysis, not knowing if I'm going to come back or I can come back or they want me back. It just gave me another skill, another tool in the toolbox, Conrad, that I could utilize, uh, to maintain my, my, uh, employment, shall we say. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Let's talk about that show, Cena. I mean, this is a big show. Cena retains, and then Edge cashes in the very first Money in the Bank contract cash in, and this comes on the heels of John Cena spending 28 minutes in the Elimination Chamber. Edge comes out, spears Cena. Looks like he gets the pin, but Cena kicks out, and then Edge hits a second spear and gets the pin and wins his first WWE title. This is a major moment. I mean, I remember that moment. Like it was yesterday. It really is the first money in the bank contract cash in. And I thought it was so well done in hindsight. Is this, uh, an all time highlight for edge and the money in the bank concept? what do you think of this? Well, I think the fact that we, it was the first time we really used the money in the bank, uh, concept stipulation, uh, was, was historic in that respect based on where and how the money to bring bank stipulation has evolved over the years. Yeah. But for Adam Copeland, AKA edge winning his first title, uh, was huge. I'm sure if you ask him, he'd probably say that was one of the highlights of my career because the thing that he came from being an indie wrestler in Ontario, making little or no money. And he and, uh, 
Jay Resso, AKA Christian signing with us, uh, for a developmental contract training in the warehouse was the Tom Pritchard who always did a great job, still does. And Dory Funk jr. Uh, we had good coaches and uh, they, they did, they did a great job in getting these guys ready. They had already had several years experience in the Indies. Let's be honest about that. But sometimes the guys that come out of the Indies have done one thing for sure. They developed significant bad habits and generally it's getting in too big a hurry, not having continuity in your match, uh, not knowing the difference in registering and selling and things of that nature. But these two cats were very, very, uh, much students of the game. So I would say the journey that edge was on, uh, and then, fa then finally winning the title was significant. It was certainly significant for me because I was very proud of him. You know, I, I got along with, I've always got along with Adam and, and, uh, Jay there never were problems, you know, there never were issues. And then of course I made friends with, uh, edges mom, because we we're both major Eagles fans, not the Philadelphia Eagles, but the band the Eagles. And so that was kind of our link. And so when we were chatting about Adam or I'd see her to show or whatever, that was, uh, something we'd always chat about. And, and Adam's mentioned that to me before, you know, my mom loved talking to you about the Eagles or, you know, how many times you've seen them, your favorite song, all these things. So I felt really, uh, happy that he, he won the title. And I would say that was a significant moment, quite frankly, maybe that you can't win another one. You gotta win one before you can win more. Right. And he, and he did that on that night there in Albany. I remember even now that you mentioned the, the town, uh, which I should have known, uh, I remember parking. I remember driving up from uh, Connecticut. Uh, and it was just a real cool moment. Uh, now that you talk about that, uh, it was a, it was a feel good moment. I'd love to call the match and been the voice behind edge's first title, much like I would like to have been the voice behind Mick Foley's first title. It just was the hand I was dealt. And I went through a lot of depression and, and, uh, self-medication. Cause I just uh, thought my life, my career was over. So if my career was over, unfortunately I looked at everything, everything was career oriented. If my career was over, then life is, as I knew it would never be the same. And maybe that's being overdramatic probably is, but that's how I felt. I was that committed to the product and to the business. So, uh, but anyway, I, I remember that, uh, that trip, nice, easy three hour drive. Hitting Albany and doing the show and being able to, to get back home. The next night on raw, John Cena cuts a promo talking about losing the title and tells those who boo him, they can quote, kiss his ass. Uh, and this is the first time I think I remember John ever talking like this about his mixed reactions from fans. What was your take on all the Cena sucks chance? And what was Vince's thinking at the time? I mean, here's. Your your most over baby face based on the way the story is written, but it does feel like the audience is becoming more and more divided. Maybe guys my age are booing him, but the kids and the ladies, they're huge John Cena fans. How did you reconcile that? Well, I think that uh it was a trend. I think it was, it, it was some fans thought it was the fashionable thing to do. It created some audience participation, I assume, where one side of the aisle was saying, uh, you know, Cena sucks and, and 
the other side saying, let's go Cena. So it gave the audience something to invest in, in that regard, emotionally invest in. But for those that just, that didn't like John, I never understood why they didn't like John. It could be, well, he was overexposed, you know, whatever. I don't know. They want, maybe there's somebody else. It was their, their select, their choice on the roster that they, you know, would rather have had in that, that top spot. I just, it was always kind of confounding to me that you would, people would have that, that, that mindset. So bottom line, I didn't like it. I thought it was disruptive. Uh, but again, the, the fans, they buy their tickets, they pay their money. They drive from home, they take a seat. Here they are. They got to be able to have freedom of expression and enjoy themselves. And if that's a part of them enjoying the experience, then so be it. Let's, um, let's talk about how Vince viewed this. Did Vince, as far as you recall, back when these chants first started, was it ever even discussed? Hey, maybe we've done too much with him as a baby face. Maybe we need to turn him heel. I know later as time goes on, he felt like, well, we, we probably can't do that with all the make-a-wish stuff and all that stuff. But here, all these years ago, 15 years ago, do you think it was ever even seriously discussed seeing it as a heel? I never was involved in a serious discussion with Vince about it. We sometimes chuckle about it because it was, there was like a remnant holdover of the attitude era. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're not going to separate yourself from the most successful period of time in WWE history. As far as I'm concerned, uh, that facilitated going public and things of that nature. But, uh, I don't think we ever had any serious discussion about it. We might chuckle about it something like that, or the audiences, you know, we, Vince and I would talk about the audience and how the audience is changing. And, and, and it was, it was changing before our very eyes until what we see today. So, uh, and people are very outspoken. Uh, and the only, the only thing that's been tempered is for the, for them today is the fact that, you know, until WrestleMania, they haven't been in front of an audience in a year. And, uh, that's got it. That's that affects atmosphere that affects performance. It just, it just does. You can be a great performer, but you're going to be a greater performer. If people are chanting or cheering or booing, they're participating and you can see them. They're sitting there, not like those, uh, not, not through technology. So, uh, but I don't think we ever really talked about it. It was never a big issue, quite frankly. Uh, I mean, what you said about the, you know, John's probably uh, granted more make a wish make a wish, uh, appearances and things than anybody ever in make a wish. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's hard. People have to understand how hard that is because we all know the make a wish is for something that is done for these terminally ill children. And, uh, meaning, you know, they know the hand they're dealt. They know they're, they're not around for much longer. And so to be able to experience that. And Cena just didn't do drive-bys. He would go meet with them. He'd sit and talk with them. And I, and I know that that would be something he had to process and still go back out and work, uh, because it wasn't easy to go through that dialogue or those conversations, with those children, they were happy. They got to see John Cena. They were, they were loving life for whatever life they had left. They were loving that. And John helped facilitate that, but you know, you can't let the details getting away of a good story or a good boo. 
So that's, that's kind of how I looked at that situation, but seen a special even then on the, his make a wish, he, he believed in it. He believed in it. And a lot of the guys that we would go to, to do make a wishes, uh, didn't have, uh, John's commitment. Some of them would tell me it's just too hard for me. Yeah. I have children. I, yeah. I think of what it would be like if they were my kids. The Cena didn't have any kids, Conrad. So he was, he had a little buffer there, but it affected him. Uh, and I've seen it affect him. Uh, so I've always admired John for many things, but his commitment to the make-a-wish kids and these terminally ill children, uh, was really, really special. Let's, uh, let's talk about what's happening with the, uh, the other segment on the show. I can't believe this happened. This is the night after new year's revolution. There was a live sex show with edge and Lita, which ended with Cena hitting Lita with the FU. Boy, if you can have some do-overs in WWE, the live sex show probably makes the list somewhere. Wouldn't you think? I think so. It just wasn't, uh, it wasn't appropriately named. It denoted, uh, a, a little dark darkness. It, it, it certainly wasn't family friendly, uh, but it, it, if it had a new, a different name. You could have done basically the same thing. But the live sex show indicates uh, that somebody's going to have sex on the air. <laughs> I mean, really, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You're not going to drive in together and sit there and hold hands and eat popcorn. No. Uh, so I think that the connotation of what live sex show meant uh, wasn't real positive. But it was it was it was, a, it was a, another remnant of the uh, Attitude Era. It was seemingly to me, it was more appropriate for the attitude era. If it was appropriate at all, uh, than it was for the, uh, uh, ruthless aggression point in time, but it was a good TV. If you liked it, it was good TV. If you didn't like it, then it was a good TV. It's simply that simple. Lita has spoken out about how she felt pressured at the time to do things she didn't feel comfortable with. You were running talent relations. Did she ever bring any concerns in this era to you that you recall? Uh, maybe a casual conversation, but nothing to the level of, I don't want to do this. If she had come to me and said, I don't want to do this. I refuse to do this. It, I don't, you know, I'm not comfortable doing it. Then, uh, she wouldn't have had to do it. Would have done something else. Right. But I think that the precedent of uh, going against the company's booking ideas, uh, had a lot of talents, uh, uneasy. They didn't want to screw up their push because God damn it, Conrad, we all know if you don't have a push, you got nothing. Right. Uh, when's your, when's your push come along? I'm hoping to get one sometime soon. Uh, I'll, I'll help you if I can pray for me, brother. <laughs> I will. You got brother love on your side. I do. Uh, when, yeah. when he's available to talk on the phone. <laughs> Poor old Brucey. He's a, he's knee deep in it, man. And, uh, I'm sure quite frankly, he wouldn't have it any other way. Oh no. I'm sure he's having a good time the time of his life, but I can't imagine the stress. You know, I know you didn't plop down and watch WrestleMania right away, but with that rain delay, and then I don't know if you saw, but there was a giant bubble forming over the ring where all the rain had collected on the plastic and you had to feel like just any minute now, this thing could blow and. Yeah. They're just in the back. Just hoping it goes well. That's gotta be nerve wracking. You gotta be, and I'm sure it was, uh, but 
in any event, it was the leader was a, was a trooper. And, uh, she saw that this was a part of her break. This is a part of her build, a part of her getting recognition because the, the issue is you just want eyeballs to come to her scene or her segment, whatever you want to say. Uh, and then that's how I explain it to her. It may not be the way you would ideally want eyeballs on your segment, but uh, considering that's what they, they have planned, the office has planned. Uh, I would just say, go steal the scene, go, go give people something to talk about. And then as, as the more they're familiar with you and, and, and this image that is being perpetrated for you, uh, the more opportunity you're going to have to get over. And quite frankly, that's how it worked out. Yeah. Lita got over. Yes, sir. Big star and a uh, hall of famer and all that good stuff. Gosh, I, she was real worried when I heard, had my first meeting with her about her tattoo, cause I'd been warned. Well, you know, she's got, this is how funny the times have changed. This is how times have changed. Well, uh, now, you know, she's got a tattoo, right? Now, can you imagine today? No. Is, is tattoos are taboo. Yeah. I mean, and it'd be eight guys in wrestling. Yeah. It, it may be right. Yeah. So, uh, and, and how about the women? There's a lot of women got plenty of tats. It's sure. just a, it's just the way it is, man. That's what the, that's a fashion statement. It's so, uh, but she did a, she, she was worried about that. And she, I remember her taking her little, uh, office. She had a little, uh, uh, nice suit uh, on skirt and a, and a jacket. And she took off her jacket to show me her tattoo. I was nonplussed. It was, I, it's cool. I don't know what it was. Lots of ink on her arm. But she was uh, worried about that hurting her, and it it didn't. I told Vince, you know, she's got a tattoo. She's a little edgy, and I don't think edgy was bad. Right. I said, but she's really, really good, Vince, and I, I, I'm going to hire her. And if the creative has the same feeling about her after meeting her that I do, you got a winner on your hands. And uh, luckily enough, creative group uh, agreed with my assessment. And off she went. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, the next week edge defends his title against Ric Flair in a famous TLC match, which would see edge win and Cena would save flair from getting the old concerto. And it was pretty amazing to see flair in a TLC match. We recently talked about him in a money in the bank ladder match. And now a TLC match, I think, uh, maybe the next year. He did like a, a hardcore match with thumbtacks with big show flair was like willing to try anything in this era. Was he not? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a departure from what he had done. Even though Rick was involved in a lot of blood baths and things like that during his NWA title reign. Uh, and it did that very well, but I was never, I was never overwhelmed in a positive way that Ric Flair belonged in a TLC match. Right. Now, I'm not saying that he couldn't make it work whatsoever. He could do anything. He could make anything work in the squared circle. It's just, I, I believe maybe more than anything that perhaps it just wasn't necessary. You know, uh, I just didn't see it. I just didn't, I didn't feel it, but they pulled it off pretty well. It was, it was all right because the TLC thing is going to had, had been, uh, 
have been polished. And, you know, I don't think that was Rick's forte climbing things and falling off of them. I'd rather, I'd rather seen edge and flair have a classic wrestling match and then have, uh, have, uh, uh excuse me, Cena and uh, edge and flair. I'll get it right. Uh, I'd rather see that match. And then at the end, after, uh, edge went over, then do your angle with the, with the concerto. Uh, just didn't think they needed the preamble of a TLC to get there. You can still do the same angle. And I think, uh, having edge beat Ric Flair was pretty damn cool for edge's career. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I just didn't think he needed the TLC, but you know, again, they pulled it back. They pulled it off and, uh, uh and, and it worked, it ended up working. Okay. Much to my surprise. Let's also talk about, uh, the Royal rumble. That's the next major pay-per-view. And we would see John Cena defeat edge to win the title back in 14 minutes and three seconds. This is interesting, I guess, because you know, you've got a, a two pay-per-view month. So the, the whole chamber match and new year's revolution. And just a couple of weeks later, it's time for the Royal rumble. We know that the rumble marks the beginning of WrestleMania season. But my goodness, Edge did a lot very quickly. That's such a memorable cash in. Then the whole silly live sex show. Then the Flair TLC. Was the company not sold on Edge being the top guy quite yet? Or was this more a matter of, hey, it just makes a good story for Cena and sort of gets over our new concept for the cash in? Well, you got to, you got an interesting situation here. One is, you're still building and trying to get Cena over and you're building and trying to get edge over. Uh, and then they're working with each other. So a lot of thoughts got to be given into the creative of that and how finishes are, are structured. Um, but I think maybe your first, uh, suggestion, maybe the office didn't have quite have all the confidence that they wanted in a, in a, in a quasi green talent that edge was because he was known as a tag team guy. Right. And, uh, so his whole voyage as a single star, which, you know, obviously, uh, one of the highlights of WrestleMania for this year for me was that triple threat match, as I mentioned earlier, uh, edge and, uh, and reigns and Daniel Bryant, uh, they were, they're masterful. And, uh, but shows how far edge has come. So, but I do think at that point in time, Conrad, my, my guess would be that he was not quite in a comfort level yet. That would make Vince happy, not unhappy. Just, I, I got to see more. He needs more time. He needs more experience. He needs more ring time at this level against this kind of quality competition. That would be my guess on that deal. Because Adam had never had an, we never had any issues with him. You know, he was, uh, he was a, he was a perfect, uh, a, a locker room guy and everybody had time to talk to him and he was just a good dude. So I think maybe it was just the fact that he just quite hadn't proved himself to, to, the, to, uh, VKM at yeah. that point in time. And I might be wrong, but I think that's that would have more to do with it than about anything. Well, now we know that, uh, 
seen as the guy here again, he beats edge again. We said in uh, 14 minutes and three seconds, triple H is he always the WrestleMania opponent in mind? Or was there a thought that, Hey man, we got edge hot enough. Maybe they could have a rematch if you will at WrestleMania. Uh, the, yeah, triple H is always in the picture because he was arguably, uh, the best heel that we had. Uh, and certainly was that way for many, many years to his credit. Um, I, I just don't know. I, I always found it somewhat confounding. Triple H is a heel. Right. And a good, and a damn good one. You know, Harley races influence on triple H was very prominent <clears throat> and very obvious. Excuse me. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I think maybe, uh, I think, uh, I didn't know who the heel and babyface were. And it was a heel match it was edge versus triple H a heel match. So let me, uh, let me ask Jim, you know, when we take a look at John Cena and what he's going to do at WrestleMania, we know the prior year he was working with Layfield and they were next to last, but the last match that night was Batista and triple H. And they had that long story with evolution. Totally get that. When you're looking for an opponent for the next WrestleMania for John Cena is triple H the only obvious choice. I don't know if he's the only obvious choice, but he is an obvious choice. Uh, simply because triple H had the ability in the ring to make other guys around him better. And he was a great strategist. They put matches together very well. So he might not have been the obvious choice Conrad and he might be, I don't know. I'm just saying that he certainly was the most viable choice because he was coming into his own about that time. And really refining his, his uh, heel skills and adding a little wrinkle here and there and his look and his tights and his sledgehammer and all these things. And the, the, the thing about triple H was he was reliable, right? You know, he was always there. You know, the only time he wasn't there, he was injured and those injuries were not minor injuries because he had a lot of those that he worked through. It was the fact that, you know, he had some, 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 some surgery uh, related injuries that he had to take care of. But other than that, man, he was reliable as hell and, and, uh, and would make sure that, that the, the, the point, if triple H is going over, he knew the formula, make your opponent really look like a star, right? Cause then when you beat that opponent, you've beaten somebody significant and the win is a more high quality win. He got that formula. And it's still that way today, quite frankly. Uh, so it wasn't going to be an enhancement match. He's going to eat somebody up. So I think he was the obvious choice. He might not have been the only choice. Probably wasn't the only choice, but he certainly was the obvious choice in my view. Let's talk about uh, another pairing. It seems like it comes out of left field. John Cena and Maria are linked up as a couple in the follow-up here. And they're even making out before they team up to beat Edge and Lita. I understand since we just did the live sex show and they're such a strong duo of edge and lead, I need to be in the mix. So let's put Cena against them. How does the Maria thing come to be though? Well, look at her. Well, you think, she, you think she's not TV worthy? Oh, no argument for me. That's it. She had great sex appeal. She was a fresh face, uh, and, uh, was always professional 
wide eyed and open to try things. Uh, so yeah, I thought, I thought, I actually thought that was a good choice because she was a new player in the, in the equation and she had every, she had all the tools that she'd want. If John Cena was going to have a girlfriend, she's got to be hot. Okay. And you know what? I can deny the fact that Maria wasn't hot. No, sir. she was, she was, she is for, especially even today as a mama too. You know, she's just a, she, and she's such a joy to be around. One of my favorite people. And I hope that she continues to do well, stays busy, but she really, she's really enjoys being a mom, Conrad. And that's a great trait, great quality to have, quite frankly. So I think that was a deal. If you're going to get John Cena's going to be his first TV girlfriend, let's give him a dandy. And I thought that was a good booking. Next up, we would see Cena defeat edge again on raw this time with Mick Foley as a referee. And that really starts the Foley edge program for WrestleMania, which we know is going to be a good one. Uh, and then triple H would win a road to WrestleMania match over Rob Van Dam and big show. So now we've got our stage set for WrestleMania. It's John Cena versus triple H and we see triple H start cutting promos on Cena talking about how he's a transitional champion and he's not a very good wrestler. And I think some people believe that when these promos started, they hung around Cena for a long time. I mean, I, I understand at the time, you know, uh, triple H is trying to be as real and edgy and, and, and shoot brother as we can. Uh, and that will certainly work for a WrestleMania rivalry, but I am curious what you think about those comments and how they really followed John for the rest of his career. Yeah. Uh, not the right, not the right direction to head in for, uh, you know, uh, for triple H, uh, he would in today's world, he knows, he knows better. Right. Uh, and it's not the way you build your opponent. You know, it's easy to say, you know, I don't know if you're the greatest wrestler ever seen it, but you're not as good as me. Right. Things like that, uh, would be better. So the. You start off with the wrong philosophy, uh, quite frankly. So, uh, and it, it just, it, it got off to the, here's a good word for you. I made this up wonky. <laughs> it was a wonky start to the deal. It's a, can you imagine some people are tweeting about me saying wonky? I want to mention over at box right now, we have a new shirt. That's available has, of course, the signature JR cowboy hat, but it calls you the wonky talk, man. So, <laughs> there you go. There you are. So I will buy one folks box gimmicks.com. Uh, Dave, uh, Silva sent me some nice swag. I, I mentioned that. And, uh, I was very impressed with all the stuff that he sent me good quality stuff. And good. So if you get a chance to, and there's a lot of, what a, I went, I went on the site. Man, there's a great selection of inventory. Yeah, it's we like, got a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, it's cool stuff. So, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, the it's just not the way you cut a promo. Uh, the intensity was there, the wording was fine, but the the philosophy of that promo was not good. Uh, so, you know, but that's you know it's hindsight. I, I, like I said, Triple H has matured. Yeah. He's got to become a better student of the game. Not that he wasn't then, but he's much better now. And he, he, you could, you probably couldn't get him to say that if one of his kids on NXT 
or somebody in the main roster was uh, using that philosophy, it, it probably would not make air today. It's just they're not the right way to do it. And, you know, uh, for whatever reason, Triple H was given that liberty to kind of go into business for himself. Let's talk about uh, what's next for uh, Cena here. We do see a Saturday night's main event return where John Cena has the team with his WrestleMania opponent, Triple H, to take on three other opponents who are going to get it on in a three-way dance at WrestleMania. It's Kurt Angle, Randy Orton, and Rey Mysterio. This is the return of Saturday night's main event. Uh, it's been off the air for quite a while. Uh, when it's all done here, Cena pins Orton to gain the victory. And of course that continues to build tension between the two. We would see John Cena main event, a raw against Vince McMahon. As Shawn Michaels and Cena are battling the McMahon family. At that point, it's Vince, Shane and triple H in this era that it starts to become much of a good thing. Like it felt like McMahon, the McMahons had been on TV as, as big characters for a long time. Was this too much? Was it time for something new or fans getting tired of it? Do you think, uh, pardon me. Um, well, the answer is how are the ratings, right? I remember they're pretty good for that McMahon thing. Right. Or am I wrong? Yeah, I drew a 4.99 rating, which is about 6 million viewers. Smeltzer would write, the main event was Cena over events by DQ in three minutes and 24 seconds. Triple H and Sean were handcuffed to the ropes. The match was all tests of strength. They even did spots where McMahon would outmuscle Cena. Vince took the worst bump ever. I think the idea was Cena outmuscled him and threw him down, but it sure didn't come out like that. As Cena was getting a test of strength advantage, Vince kicked him low for the DQ. And then he used the handcuff key to release triple H. He got a sledgehammer from under the ring and laid out Cena who juiced. They also surrounded Michaels and triple H hit him with a sledgehammer and Vince hit him with a chair. The last scene was triple H and Vince ending with heat as the faces were all bloody. I thought it was effective. Cena versus Vince itself was a new level of bad for a main event. Well, uh, okay. Is that a revelation? Is that a startling statement for God's sakes? It was a new level of bad. What the fuck do you think it was going to be? Vince is not a worker. He wasn't, he's a, he's a guy, he, he was, a, he's a, a mature man. This that's, uh, was living out a, a, a dream of a younger man. So it, it can't be great. Now, you, if you got Sean and, or Shane rather, or whatever, and certainly triple H into more involved. And you saw what the results were when they were involved, it got over, but you know, I, that's some of those things like said, well, it's a new level of bad. No, no shit, Dave. Come on. Well, I mean, here's a revolutionary idea, Jim, you know, for the main event of raw, why don't we just use a couple of fucking wrestlers? Got a bunch of them under contract, paying them a lot of money. We could just go let the boss put on headsets and be the boss because he didn't want to Conrad. So there's that. How come, how come you're on every show that you broadcast? Because <laughs> you that soon, right? Yeah. But because you can, if you choose to, and you feel a need to, and I'm for one, I'm glad that you are because I don't want to work with anybody else. <laughs> I don't, I'm just being honest. I will. Cause you know, it's my, I, I, I made a commitment to you and I would. Sure. But the bottom line is. Vince felt at that time that he needed, uh, to be involved because 
we had not done a phenomenal job of building box office like heels and Vince was still operating on the fumes of he and Austin's and, and rock to another degree rivalry. And I said it many times, and I mean this, uh, he was the best heel we had in the attitude era. Right. Was it because his work in the ring, uh, and the new level of bad hell no it's promo ability, what he represented, you know, uh, it's, you know, take this job, take this job and shove it type thing. Right. That's the only Johnny paycheck reference I'll make to probably today, but uh, nonetheless, most people say, who the hell is Johnny paycheck? Oh, I know Johnny paycheck is (laughs) of course. So, uh, no, I just think that the match wasn't booked to be a classic wrestling match. Well, what's interesting is this WrestleMania could have been a lot of other things. We're on our way there, but I think it's been mentioned that once upon a time, the original plan for Sean was going to be Eddie Guerrero. But of course we know he tragically passed away a few months prior to this. Mm -hmm. So that's no longer an option. And somewhere around here near Royal rumble time, Batista gets hurt. So now your former main event from the prior years, WrestleMania is down. And I can't help, but wonder, you know, if Batista's here and healthy and, and if Eddie hadn't passed away, I don't think Vince is working Sean at WrestleMania. I just don't think there's even a remote chance, but it does feel like, oh man, we don't really have anybody ready. Let's hit the panic button. I'll go back in there and I'll do something. Maybe I've, I've seen it. It's not a new concept, right? Cowboy Bill Watts did it when he wanted to pop business with he and stagger Lee, AKA junkyard dog against the midnight express. I did box office sellouts, uh, in every city we're in because it needed, it needed a, a cash flow injection and it, and it worked, uh, you know, that could have worked very well in WCW during the dusty booking era. If dusty had pulled himself away from television for a while, not believing that he had to be, he was an essential part of the, uh, of the, of the process. He was, he was essential but he didn't need to be uh, out front so that when he made his returns or he would come in to be somebody's partner or you come in to inter, you know, interfere or be the, the voice of righteousness, it would have worked bigger. And I, and, uh, because he was a star and there's certainly with dusty or excuse me with Vince, uh, again, the heel attitude era run, uh, was not going to, it's not something you just throw away. So I don't want him sitting in the back in the back on headsets and selfishly for my, for me, I didn't want to hear him. Right. So I'm being very, very honest here. I, I work better when I wasn't getting heavily handed produced word after word, you know, yeah. but by the time you say what he wanted you to say, the moment had passed. Yes. And, uh, he and I had 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 many discussions on that. The moment had passed. Now I would, I, and I told him I'll try to, I'll try to bring that back around, but let me do it when it's time, time makes sense. Cause right. it's a disconnect. You're seeing one thing and I'm addressing another. What, what, where's the continuity in that deal? So, uh, but anyway, this is, here's what's ironic about this. Remember that we were talking just a minute ago about triple H's promo that Cena couldn't wrestle. Yeah. Who won the match? Cena. Yeah. Cena one. You, you, you follow my drift here. Yeah. 
So a guy that can't wrestle beat your ass. That's right. You can't say that on television, but don't think the fans aren't thinking it to some degree. So it was just a bad, it's a bad concept uh, or a bad philosophy, better said. So, uh, anyway, but, th- and those guys had, they always had pretty good chemistry. They did pretty good. I thought, yeah, let's talk about WrestleMania weekend here. Um, Vince is, uh, going to have John Cena induct refrigerator Perry into the WWE hall of fame the night before WrestleMania. And the fans are all over him booing like crazy at the hall of fame, not fridge Cena. But when it comes time for the final match at WrestleMania, John Cena gets his hand raised over triple H after 22 minutes and four seconds. The rumor and innuendo at the time is that Cena was moved to raw from SmackDown to get the title to triple H. So some people were sort of shocked that Cena won, but in this era, it felt like WrestleMania always tried to send the fans home happy. Right. And, and when they don't, then the fans have a minor up outrages outrage because you know, uh, of that deal. Well, you didn't, you know, uh, you didn't have uh, you know, Roman Reigns wins at uh, WrestleMania. He's allegedly a heel as far as I can tell. Time's got to change. I don't believe my, my beliefs in WrestleMania are two philosophies. One is everybody doesn't deserve to be on the card. And, uh, you don't have to have a baby face finish to send everybody home. Happy. They're fucking happy. They paid a fortune for, for tickets. They, they made a great commitment to be there. I'd say they're happy. They're happy they made their mind decision, and the finish in the last match isn't going to adversely affect that. It might have years ago, Conrad. It might have had more of an effect years ago, but now everybody's, you know, it's a different mindset. It's a different mindset thanks to uh, social media and things of that nature. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't believe that's necessary to have the everybody send them home happy. Oh, you mean all the shit we've been doing for two days? or for three hours or whatever, and they're not happy really. So I think it's an antiquated philosophy that was worked well in the eighties when Hogan was the guy, Austin was the guy after the Bret Hart was the guy. So I get that, but the times have changed and we've moved into another era of, uh, of, uh, perception and presentation. Let's talk a little bit about, um, what's announced for backlash. It's Cena defending the title against triple H and edge. It makes sense to put edge back in the picture, given the success he had uh, early in the year, but the build to the three way is odd In consecutive weeks. There's handicap matches with Cena edge and triple H teaming up and they're taking on the spirit squad. I, I don't. I don't understand this whole, I get it. You know, that that's an old, uh, booking one Oh one thing where, Hey, these guys make strange bedfellows. They hate each other and they've got a personal issue, but let's see if they can team together. But now they're taking on a pack of cheerleaders. Looking back on the situation, Conrad, I would suggest to you and our fine audience here that more than likely the booking of the spirit squad, uh, to take on, uh, Cena edge of triple H was Patterson's idea. Right. Pat. Pat always had the big picture, uh, vision 
to see if we put a group of guys together, even though they were male cheerleaders, which isn't the most macho thing, uh, in public perception. Uh, and so and don't, don't at me folks. I'm not against male cheerleaders for God's sakes. It's just in that era, maybe today's era, they just weren't, uh, perceived as, you know, badasses. They weren't lumberjacks. Yeah. <laughs> so they weren't mortgage lenders. Oh my gosh. Listen to you. So, well, they weren't, uh, but nonetheless, the, the, the secret was they were, they were some athletic kids who were new. They were fresh and maybe one or two were lucky would spin out and become bigger stars, but it was an odd booking. No doubt about that. But it also spoke to this. It spoke to the fact that we were having trouble apparently in making heels. And right. one of the reasons for that is 50, 50 booking and rushing things. So, uh, that company's had a issue for years about having no patience. And that starts at one place, no patience. So, uh, in any event, I, I, I can understand the apprehension of some people to accept that booking. I know why it was booked that way. And, uh, knowing Pat Patterson's, uh, track record, uh, nobody really, obviously it, it aired. It was booked, right? right. You know, so, but I think Pat got that going to pass on that one because he's just, he's, he has been right so many times. And I'm not saying this was wrong. It's just, here's the, here's the issue. The kids on the spirit squad, they were not ready for that spot. They needed more time to get over. They needed a winning streak. They needed to get some credibility. Uh, they needed to show their strengths and that's the athleticism and their charisma, but, uh, they were not given the time to, to let that evolve and develop. So that's why the booking seemed somewhat tepid. But uh, I understand the logic. And again, it had Patterson's uh, writings all over it. Let's talk about uh, backlash. Cena would defeat Triple H and Edge by pinning Hunter after reversing the pedigree into a rollover. Triple H ends the show, though, laying out everyone with a sledgehammer and giving crotch chops. It's surprising enough that Triple H loses two pay-per-view main events in a row, but maybe not surprising he lays everyone out. But then the crotch chops, we know this is going to eventually lead to a DX reunion of sorts. But he's the heel here. Um, what do you remember about the discussions to bring back DX? Was it just organic or were they uh, forcing it here? I thought it was a great idea. You know, I, I, uh, DX had a lot of, a lot of, uh, collateral. They, yeah. they had earned, you know, they had some value. And so I didn't see anything wrong with it whatsoever. They overachieved quite frankly, for what I thought it might be. It's just very hard to go back to another. It's hard to go back yeah. and bring it forward again. It's kind of tough to do that. And that was my concern. Can we replicate and recreate the buzz of DX? And, uh, but for those that say Triple H never did the honors very often, he didn't, we didn't want to put anybody over, you know, I don't know if anybody wants to put anybody over Conrad, quite frankly. Right. right. Hey, I hope I can lose today, man. I'm, I'm loving a loss today. I need to lose, uh, but two pay-per-views in a row, he, he, he was, uh, doing the honors. So I have a lot of respect for him for, for that because then now he's doing business the right way. 
he realized, I would think that saying my opponent at WrestleMania can't wrestle. And then you, he beat your ass. What does that make you look like? Right. So, uh, in any event, that was, uh, I, I was a little shocked about how that worked out, but, uh, he's, uh, two losing two in a row. Hey, look, did it hurt his career? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. So, uh, it's what speaks it again, that if you do your honor, do their, their favors the right way, right. You can survive just as easily as, as not. And I'm not saying a loss is as good as a win. I'm not saying that at all, but how you execute your loss is the key. It's not that you lost. It's how did, how did you lose? How did you look when the final bell sounded? It's that old, uh, what's the old saying? It's not who goes over. It's who gets over. Absolutely. Hey, let me ask you, um, when we look back at this show, this is a show where Joey styles is no longer calling the show. Yeah. Uh, he's going to start working on the relaunch of ECW and now you're back in the chair. Yep. What do you remember about how that came to be? Well, he was, uh, so here's how I looked at that deal. This is going to sound very egocentric and maybe I should have always been a heel, but I thought that was my chair. Yeah. And I really appreciate him keeping it warm for me. Uh, and that sounds really like a dick, but I was sick. Uh, career was in jeopardy. I wasn't handling it. Well, thank God for Jan. Keep me propped up and positive as she could. Cause I could be a miserable bastard. You No, yeah. mm, I could, I am today. Sometimes I can't help it. <laughs> I'm a red ass sometimes, Conrad. It's good for business. I, I saw. Uh, I know it is. I know it's, it's very good for business. Yes, it is. Uh, so, uh, but Joy did a great job, but he came in with that ECW feel. And I, uh, to me, that's not wrong. Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, I think over the years, the legend of ECW continues to grow in, in many of their former athletes' imagination. You know, they went broke. If you're a great star and you draw a lot of money, then you wouldn't go broke. And Joey just was not Vince's cup of tea. And I don't know why I thought Joey styles did a hell of a job sitting in, taking my spot while I was sick and on the IR as it were, uh, he was just, he did an excellent, excellent work. And I consider him a good friend which may taint my evaluation of him. I thought Joey Styles is one of the better announcers that uh, I've uh, encountered in my career, but he didn't have that same feel, uh, in the front office. And that's, that's unfortunate, but I was excited to get back to work, man. Are you kidding me? My wife was excited for me to get back to work and get the hell out of the house. You know, I was still doing the payroll, still doing the payoffs. I was still booking house shows. I was still busy by the way. But my passion and my love, uh, other than fried food was me and, uh, <laughs> calling matches at ringside. So I was happy to go back to work. I really was, I was felt very blessed and refreshed and I was ready to roll. Well, Cena and Michaels are ready to roll in main event raw. Uh, it's your first raw back and it's a five on two handicap match against the entire spirit squad. Uh, in hindsight, I don't think any of these matches actually helped the spirit squad, even when they won, but that's a story for another day. It's announced by Rob Van Dam 
that he's going to cash in his money in the bank briefcase at ECW's one night stand to help relaunch the ECW brand and then challenge John Cena to face him at the Hammerstein ballroom. This is an interesting deal here. We know we're about to kick off ECW again. We're bringing back one night stand after the incredible success from 05. So we're going to do it again in 06. And Rob Van Dam doesn't go the edge route where he's going to sneak up and make it a surprise. He calls his shot, so to speak. Cena, Rob Van Dam at one night stand. What did you think of the way this was revealed and announced so far in advance? I liked it. Wrestling fans love anticipation. Yeah. We love to anticipate matches and events and so forth. Uh, so I, I liked it. I thought it was, uh, it's what Rob Van Dam would do. He's very, uh, ballsy. He, he was very self-confident and he was going to be on his home, home court. That was one of the better atmospheres of any event that I, I saw. And I watched that on television. I wasn't there that night. Uh, so, you know, it was a tight fitting deal. We trying to keep the staff down a little bit and, uh, I was just, you know, getting back in the, in the, in the hunt. So I, 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 I stayed home and watched it on pay-per-view, but I thought it was one of the more amazing atmospheres, uh, that I had seen in a, in a WWE produced event ever. So I thought the experiment worked and, uh, and, and, and John Cena showed that he was the soldier that we thought he was. He had no issues going into hostile ter- brother. It was hostile. Yes, it was. I think, was that where they said that Cena wins, we riot? Yes, that is exactly it. So, uh, you know, talk about the bill to get there. Uh, Johnny Nitro returns to raw and loses to Cena in his first match back. I want to take a sidebar here. It feels like the, the returning person to whatever brand and losing immediately has almost become a staple of modern WWE creative. Is that a directive? You know, we, we've heard stories back in the day where Vince allegedly would Let's beat the new guy and see how he responds. We want to see, sort of test his metal. Is, is that a Vince idea all the way through and through? Pretty much. Don't know why. Uh, it's a carryover to the old school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's like doing dark matches of talents. They generally can't, anybody can come in and win, but how they, how they work their match to put themselves in a position to get a quality loss. Right. And, uh, so you, you kind of wanted to find out that information, that Intel, uh, but yeah, it's an old school thing. And I think that, you know, that probably, that may have come from a, like a guy like chief J Strongbow, cause he was very influential to Vince and Vince's professional life over the years. So, but, uh, you know, and Strongbow is kind of a tough nut, you know, in that regard, you know, let's beat him. So he knows what it's like to lose here. And the fact that he's going to be asked to lose here from time to time. Or maybe all the time depends on the talent. So, uh, yeah, that's, that was kind of a, that was a Vincism, no doubt. Next up, we see Cena and Rob Van Dam have a contract signing and wouldn't, you know, it, it turns into a brawl, uh, Sabu botches an Arabian face buster off the top rope onto Cena through a table. It's not probably the best first impression for a guy like Sabu. Do you know if Cena who had really primarily been working a WWE style, his entire career. Did he have reservations about working with, a uh, an outside of the box performer like Sabu? Nope. He looked forward to it. It was a challenge. You know, it's uh it was a different, uh, dance partner, different music. And he's going to prove that he can dance to any music you want to play. 
So he did, he had no issues with it. I recall he, ne he never expressed it to me. And we talked a lot every time we were together, we, we had a chat about something generally football or something like that, but it wasn't always about finishes and things of that nature. Uh, but yeah, he looked forward to it. Conrad, new challenge, new team, new game. Let's go. WWE versus ECW was live on the USA network. We had you and King doing commentary for the WWE styles and Taz for ECW. What do you remember about working a four man booth? That's gotta be stressful no matter who your other partners are, right? Yeah. It's uh crowded, you know, it's very crowded and, uh, it's, you know, everybody's gotta, uh, be very, as much as you can, uh, be very unselfish everybody's worried about who's getting the most mic time. And, you know, the ECW thing was kind of perceived even then as a, you know, here's what we want to do, but until we do it, it's not a done deal. So uh, there was a lot of, uh, I was, I, I'm thinking a lot of uncomfortableness with some of the ECW alums. Uh, but you know, I'm not a, you know, the, the, the three man booth is challenging enough. You had a fourth person there. And it gets really, uh, uh, dicey because it's hard to maintain your continuity and your storytelling. If you and I, and, uh, and Bull Ramos are doing a show, we have to listen to each other and keep our stories connecting the dots. If you have an agenda, Conrad, where you think you got to get something in really, uh, important, then, uh, it's got to fit within the context of what we're presenting, what we're seeing on the screen, not to get your line in. Or I haven't said anything in a few seconds, so I need to get something in here. Uh, but there was a, it was crowded. It was crowded, but I don't remember it being a bad experience. You know, uh, Taz and Joey Styles had worked together. You know, they've been together a lot at ECW, not as broadcasters, I don't think, but certainly knowing each other uh, very well. And they're both very strong ECW loyalists, and that was good, quite frankly. Uh, so uh, I, I don't remember me having too many arguments with, uh, joy or, uh, Taz whatsoever. Now Lawler being the somewhat antagonist of our team, right? He had some fun with it, but that's how it should have been. And Taz should Taz in conversely has some fun with Lawler, but it's four man booth is challenging. You got to really listen to each other and can keep the dots connected. It's still going to be about storytelling and ultimately and foremost about getting talent over or a match over or the event over. So it was, uh, it was, it was interesting, uh, but it was, it was, is much like Cena's uh, experience. Let's try it. It's different. So we did that. We tried it. It was different and, and certainly was worth the try to, to make it, make it happen. It was a nice little tension thing. And I thought that was good. And, and ECW needed to be attitudinal. Uh, they right. needed to be a little abrasive because that was their image in their entire brand for their entire run. Cena and Sabu would end in a DQ when big show interferes to attack Cena to solidify that show is ECW. Uh, and then at one night stand, we already sort of teased it a moment ago, Rob Van Stam, Rob Van Dam, easy for me to say, picks up the win in 20 minutes and 39 seconds. But Paul Heyman has actually got the guy who counts the pin. Once uh, WWE referee, Nick Patrick was knocked out. The atmosphere that night was off the charts, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, WWE though is, is really on a slippery slope of sorts here because 
they're allowing their brand and their top stars to be perceived on television as uncool. I mean, ECW fans here were chanting same old shit. Fuck you, Cena. You can't wrestle. And I mean, it was, it was quite the atmosphere. He takes his shirt off, throws it to the crowd. They throw it back Paid for great <laughs> TV. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do wonder, was it a risk in making our guy who we just heard the main event at triple H, you know, uh, at WrestleMania say, Oh, you're a transitional champion. You can't wrestle. Man, just a handful of months later, fans are giving it right back to him that same way. Yeah, it was uh, it was challenging, but John weathered the storm. Yeah, and he showed great uh, character. He showed great integrity as far as the profession was concerned. He went out, and as any true pro would do, he he ran the plays that were called, and he did it very well. So uh, I have a lot of respect for John. He he was way out of his comfort zone, if you will, but that's a good thing. Wrestlers that hover and establish residency in their own respective uh, comfort zones is really the kiss of death. You got to continue to change your game. You got to continue to evolve. You can't you can't be like Nolan Ryan and throw mostly fastballs. You got to throw an all speed pitch every now and then. You got to change the zone. You got to work the outside part of the plate or whatever you baseball analogy you want to utilize. But uh, Cena always. I think Cena gained a lot of respect from the locker room because I'm sure a lot of the guys would say, I'm not putting that shit over. Right. Well, they would say that until they were booked and then they'll go out and do it. Let's talk a little bit about the decision to go with Rob Van Dam here. You know, it feels like a major moment when John Cena is able to defeat triple H at WrestleMania, you know, the prior year, you could argue he was the top guy. They went with Batista to close the show. But you have Edge cash in on him in January. He wins it back at Royal Rumble. Uh, he successfully defends against Triple H. But just a couple of months later, he's dropping it to Rob Van Dam. Was Rob that hot? Did you feel like ECW needed the shot in the arm? Or was the old man second-guessing himself on Cena here? I think it was Van Dam was uh, it was striking with the iron is hot yep. situation. I hadn't, I don't think it had anything to do with John other than John could make, uh, Rob Van Dam's victory mean more. So I don't think that's to me, that's what it was. I mean, let's not forget either, you know, the newly minted hall of famer, Rob Van Dam, uh, is, uh, was a, was a, was an amazing talent. He did. He had his own, uh, short list of things he did that were exclusive to him. Uh, you know, he was ahead of the curve on the flying stuff by and large. He, he was one of the first guys to really, uh, refine the use of his kicks and his feet. I think I said more often than not, he had educated feet. Yep. Uh, the one foot's got a, one foot is a, uh, salutatorian. The other is a valedictorian students of the game. Some other hideous thing I probably came up with, uh, but he was good. He was really Rob, Rob, really, really good. And you know, his reputation and his affinity for, for the 420 was his probably his only negative because he was flexible. He was durable. He laid his stuff in. So I was always a big Rob Van Dam fan. Still am. Let's talk about what's next for Cena here. He's on the debut episode of ECW on sci-fi. They're trying to give that show every chance they can to succeed. 
Sabu is going to win a battle Royal to earn a shot to face Cena at vengeance. And there had to be some sort of faith somewhere in these guys working together because they're going to have a third match. Uh, we would also see John Cena defeat balls Mahoney on raw. That's a sentence. I don't think any of us ever thought we'd say, uh, <laughs> and then we see Cena beat Sabu at the pay-per-view in an extreme lumberjack match. It feels like WWE once upon a time had planned to have a, a pretty big push here for Sabu, but I don't know that it ever quite grew legs mainly because of what's going to happen next. Yeah. After an ECW show, July 2nd, Huntington, West Virginia, unfortunately, Rob Van Dam and Sabu were pulled over by the Ohio state highway patrol for speeding. And they're found to be in possession of various controlled substances. And this happens at a time when Rob Van Dam is the guy. And I don't know that you were full-time in talent relations at the time, but I'm sure that this was on your radar. What do you remember about this? Well, it was a stupid mistake and carelessness and selfish, quite frankly. Uh, those guys both getting an, uh, uh, renewed opportunities to ascend up a card and Conrad to, uh, make more money. And they adversely affected the whole process, uh, by speeding. And I'm sure the car, I'm not sure anything. I assume the car smelt like pot, right? My guess, cause how else would the Ohio state police think to search a car for drugs, right? But it was, uh, it was just untimely. I mean, a lot of guys had gone to, you know, to bat for those two fellas and they got their break, so to speak in that regard, but it just, it, it just, uh, was just a terrible, terrible timing. It's never a good timing for that, for God's sakes. So, uh, it was unfortunate and it was half-ass embarrassing and, and it was something the company couldn't turn their back on the company couldn't say, oh, it's all right. Hey, boys will be boys, you know. You know, how they are, you got somebody, somebody wrestler told me one time, said, well, you gotta, you know, Jr. we're like wild horses. You gotta let us run. I don't want, I don't mind you running, but running off a cliff is stupid. And these are stupid acts of self selfishness and not selfishness. It's just unfortunate that it's just unnecessary. Are you shitting me? And if you're going to smoke weed and you're going to drive, first of all, it's, it's not very smart. It's not very safe. Uh, you know, certainly that's a DUI waiting to happen. Uh, and it's just, you got to change. And a lot of the guys did change, but some of them were so defiant. They weren't going to change their personal habits come hell or high water. And that was a, an illustration of that right here. Let's talk about, uh, the next big deal, of course, is going to be the Rob Van Dam suspension. It starts July 4th because you need to get the titles off him. So in Philadelphia, which is, I guess, a fitting place for this match, the scheduled three-way tag team match with Cena, Rob Van Dam and edge all having mystery partners turns into a regular three-way for the WWE title. And we've got to get the belt off Rob Van Dam. So there it is. Edge regains the WWE title in a three-way. Why Edge here instead of John? It's better to have a babyface chasing. Is that the thinking? 
I think so. Yeah, I think so. And quite frankly, Cena was so over at that point in time, the old Roddy Piper theory of, or Jake Roberts theory, uh, he doesn't need a title to be over. He's over. So he doesn't need the, the, the hardware. Uh, but you know, nobody had any issues with it. I mean, John was the made man. Uh, so, and edge was deserving. I mean, and he had proven himself as well. Edge had become a major star. So one or the other, it's almost like when you ask me that question, it's almost like, and I don't know this to be true. You'll tell me that. You may believe that Cena should have got it instead of Edge, because Cena well, was a bigger star than Edge. Well, I I do think Cena was a bigger star than Edge here, but I've always heard guys like Bruce say, "Well, the WWE is a babyface territory," and that feels like that changed a little bit in time. I mean, you know, these days Roman Reigns is is certainly not a babyface, but Hulk Hogan was your babyface that ran the place, and then it right. was Bret Hart, and then it was Stone Cold. And it feels like John Cena is the next guy here. Uh, I mean, even going back to Bruno, who was the champ for what felt like years and years and years and years and years, he was always a baby face. So I don't know. It feels like a bit of a departure. It was. it was getting hot. And I like the idea of having the baby face chase. It just didn't feel like that was always par for course in WWE. It wasn't. You're right. But times have got to change. And I think maybe Vince started saying that maybe we're becoming too predictable. There you go. And so let's, let's change it up. Let's go back to that baseball analogy. Hey, Nolan Ryan, throw me a breaking ball every now and then. Cause they're going to sit back and wait in the bat in the, in the back of the batter's box and tee off on your, on your fastballs. So I, I think maybe it was just the fact that we were getting a little bit too, uh, predictable and Vince felt that saw that and changed that. We should mention that, uh, we've got another match with Cena and edge at Saturday night's main event, and it ends in a DQ. What'd you think of bringing back Saturday night's main event in 06? I mean, obviously it's a great opportunity, but it doesn't feel like it was nearly as successful as the first go. Was this trying to capture lightning in a bottle, trying to hang on to nostalgia? What was it about it that made it sort of square peg round hole? Well, you're, you're looking for a win. You're looking for a show that's going to pop a big rating. It's on national television. It's on free TV. Uh, you know, NBC was NBC still are. So, you know, I, I just think it was, I think we, we had high hopes and, uh, and hopefully we could regenerate the, the enthusiasm and the popularity, uh, of this uh, brand, a Saturday night's main event. So, uh, I, I, to me, that's what that was. Again, you're always looking for something to either create new or go back to that you can you can, uh, translate into today's market, but golly saying, you know, getting on national television again on a Saturday night main event slot, just, it kind of, uh, felt like something really special. At least that was our goal. For me as a broadcaster, it was a big deal. Uh, you know, being on, uh, on NBC was a big deal and I, uh, uh, I, I'm glad we did it. It, 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 we didn't, ha we didn't, we weren't able to replicate what, what the, the newness of the Saturday night's main event was back in the day, cause it wasn't new anymore. It had been done, but I think this, the opportunity to see more eyeballs on your show, uh, was not a bad thing whatsoever. 
Let's uh, let's talk about Umaga for a moment here. Cena would put Umaga over on Raw. That's a pretty big deal. Umaga is going to get uh, quite the opportunity to have a spotlight on him here. How was Cena working with Umaga? I thought it worked. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, and they re- they liked each other and respected each other. Uh, and what a great uh, pairing, you know. Cena, the the baby face. Uh, being put in jeopardy by this monster heel who was so big and massive and athletic, great facial expressions, uh, laid his work in safely, but stiff, but firmly, not stiffly, but firmly. It might've been a little stiff. I should ask John, uh, but it was great. I thought, I thought they had great chemistry. I was a big Umaga fan. I'm a big fan of monster heels. Yeah. How many are there in the business right now? I don't know. There's some, there's gotta be some. At least they may may think in their own mind or back in catering that they're a monster heel, but they're just, it it seems like making heels is when you hear the smattering of applause, sometimes it shits all over the, the, the guy trying to get over as a villain, because that's really not what you want to do. You don't want people to have empathy for you or cheer you. If you're a villain, you want them to pay their money to come. So you get your ass whipped simple as that. Somebody's getting their ass whipped at SummerSlam. It's in Boston. John Cena's hometown. Uh, well, right by his hometown. Either way, uh, the main event is Edge and Cena. And we just talked a little earlier about, hey, let's send the fans home happy. No interest in doing that here. Edge pins Cena in 15 minutes and 41 seconds after he hit Cena in the back of the head with a pair of brass knuckles. Man, these guys have really got some chemistry together. This was a good match. I dug it. But why don't you think he won? Is it because it was in his hometown? I know that sounds silly, but that feels like Vince 101. Or did you just think, hey, we got Edge hot? Let's keep him hot. I think the fact that we got Edge hot and he he had some momentum and he was evolving into what we didn't have an abundance of, that was viable heels, main event level heels. And secondly, I think that most wrestling fans thought, well, uh, Cena's going to win in Boston. You know, he's a, he's a Massachusetts guy, grew up in the shadow of Boston. This is a layup. This is Cena all the way. So I think Vince playing a off card was pretty smart booking because it didn't kill Cena to lose, especially after being hit with brass knucks. He didn't get beat by a small package. Right. He got, he got, he got the shit, he got the shit scattered. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, edge leaves there with a title and heat. Because you know, eventually the more heat edge has, the more his loss to Cena, which will be coming up would mean. The next night, Lisa, uh, Lita tosses the spinner belt into the Bridgeport Harbor on raw uh, and edge debuts his own version of the world title. Uh, I know, uh, old school guys like me or you, we didn't exactly love the spinner belt, but there's no arguing. You guys sold a shit ton of merch with that thing. Did you not? I think so. I think it was a high, uh, high grossing item. I look, I may be again, people calling for my ouster because of my, some of my quote unquote antiquated philosophies. I I don't know, Conrad, I still have, you can't argue the success of the spinner belt. Uh, but I, even from the days of, of, uh, my good friend, Steve Austin, having the broke the, the, his belt smoking skull, yeah. Smoking skull belt. I'm not against anybody making money for goodness sakes. That's why they're here. But 
de- screwing around with the, the belt, the look of the championship, uh, just for, uh, obvious marketing, uh, opportunities. I just never ranked real high on my list and I don't say I hated it. And if it's making the company a lot of money. And of course, uh, Cena was making great money on his merch and he sell those high dollar, high ticket items. Like a, like the spinner belt was pretty, pretty cool. Pretty lucrative. It just felt strange to me. It felt like we were leaving a piece of a uh, wrestling tradition and history behind, you know, uh, you look at, you talked about Bruno a minute ago, you know, Bruno had the title for nine years straight Yeah, at, at one time. How, how many belt changes do you think there were in those nine years? It became a standard, right? It became, when you saw that you recognized what it was and what it meant. And then it became, as, it, as we're talking about now in this period of time, it became more of a, a marketing tool. Yeah. So I, I think you can still market them, but I don't think you have to change the whole damn look of the thing to make it more, just to me, it kind of cheapens the title. That's all I'm going to say about that. It kind of, I think it kind of cheapens the title. And again, I will also admit I'm a little old school. I'm a little fundamental guy. I get that, but, uh, it just didn't work for me as much as it did for some others. Now, if I had been getting a royalty check, that's different, but based on a spinner belt, I can be had for the right money. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of your favorite quotes is uh, I can't be bought, but I can be rented. Correct. Uh, the, uh, the trailer for the Marine debuts on raw. what do you think of the movie, Jim? And how does it rank in terms of other WWE movies? I think most agree. It's probably the very best one. I liked it. Uh, John was well cast, well prepared. Uh, he had a good heel to work with. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, Robert something. He was a, the villain in this thing. Oh, he was uh, tremendous. Yeah. So he, so he had a good dancing partner, right? Yes. He had his, he had his adversary who had, who had a backup. Robert Patrick. So you were thinking of Robert Patrick was a really good actor. He's still a really, I guess he's alive. Very good actor. You see him in different things, but he was a great villain to John Cena's hero. So I thought that movie did well. You know, I remember Jan and I watching it and was very impressed with, uh, with, uh, the whole damn production. I was impressed because I didn't know how well. Uh, the WWE would do in making a movie and production wise and, and all those things. I should have known, I should have not doubted it, but after seeing it, I was very convinced that, you know, Vince is probably onto something here. Good scripts with the right talent. Don't overload in their boat. You know, they're not De Niro yet. Give them a, you know, let them grow into a role, but Cena did a good job in this. He Johnny was just. You know, I don't know if that was his primary goal to come to WWE, uh, but nonetheless, he, 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 uh, he delivered the water in that one. He did a good job. Jeff Hardy would return to WWE after a three-year absence and face edge here. And then Cena throws edge into the Harbor after the match. I, we know that there are certain staples that Vince really, really likes. He kind of low key loves people being thrown into water. Doesn't he? You know, apparently it seems like it does. I just think he's Vince is like a, uh, he's, he's like a, a uh, huh? He's a kid at heart. He likes heart exactly. Heart. So I was going to say he's a, he's a juvenile delinquent at heart. Yeah. That's some clickbait for you out there for all you guys. Write that down. Vince McMahon is a 
juvenile delinquent at heart. He did go to military school. So that's what, yeah. He also got court martialed. That's a good story, but uh, seriously, the, uh, I think he got court martialed out of military. He got in some trouble there. He just honored kid and he was a kid and had the balls to act out. And so, uh, but yeah, I remember that and boy, that was that little water there next to the arena in Bridgeport, uh, the home of the Bridgeport Bluefish independent baseball team. Uh, I think they were managed by a former Yankee named Sparky Lyle. Cause I, I did a first pitch up there a couple of times cause you know, I lived 20 minutes from there, 30 minutes in Norwalk, something like that. Uh, that water was gnarly. I can't imagine jumping. I mean, you're just going to come out there with herpa, hepa, hev, penicillin. <laughs> you need something stabbed. Oh, it was bad. And yeah, you got, uh, but again, edge team player. Yeah. Never said a word. If he did, he kept it to himself or to, to his little inner circle of people that he was speaking with. But, uh, you know, Vince may like, he, I think it's just Vince likes to see people get put into uncomfortable real positions. Yeah. I get that. Next up, Chris masters returns to face John Cena and he loses by DQ because edge interferes and it's announced that Cena is going to face edge at a TLC match and unforgiven and Edge's hometown of Toronto. And if Cena loses, he has to go to SmackDown. So it's kind of a fun coincidence that you've got the two top stars feuding with their hometowns hosting pay-per-views two months in a row. I know it wasn't planned out that way, but my goodness, the timing of that really helped. Yeah, it was good booking. People paying attention, you know, because Edge, you know, Edge going to Toronto, he was going to have a huge emotional uh, feel for that match because he was beloved there. He was an Ontario guy. We talked about that on television. Uh, his renowned amateur, uh, amateur, his renowned, uh, indie independent career he had there. So people had a big investment in that, in him there. And it just adds to what we we're talking earlier about AEW going back on the road sooner than later. It just makes the show better. The business will pick up essentially when, uh, we're back on national television in front of a live audience. And there's going to be an awful lot of live television. I know where my Wednesdays are going to be in various locations around, uh, the U S of a, so, you know, somebody's going to say, well, what, what about the UK? What about, what about even Canada? I don't know. What about it? Would we like to go there? Of course we would, but the COVID still got to play. You still got to play by the rules. So, uh, I thought that was good booking, smart booking, quite frankly. WWE returns to Madison square garden for the first time in 17 months for a raw taping on September 11th. This is the five-year anniversary of nine 11. And there's a lot going on at this show where your old pal, Toby Keith is sitting uh, front row ringside. John Cena is going to team with Jeff Hardy and Carlito to take on uh, edge, Johnny Nitro and Randy Orton. And they actually get the win when Nitro submits to the STFU. Pretty big night for a show like this in New York on the anniversary of 9-11. Toby Keith, who had a, a hit song about all that, about America's going to put a boot in your ass and whatnot. This was a feel-good night for wrestling, was it not? 
Yeah, it was. Toby's still a good friend. We don't live when I'm home in Oklahoma. Uh, he and I don't live that far apart, maybe 10 minutes. Uh, but my palatial estate pales in comparison to his. Uh, we, <laughs> but I see him at OU games and things like that when we're all our schedules permit and so forth. But I mean, he's a wrestling fan. You know, he did some stuff with uh, uh, TNA. You know, uh, when Dusty was there, I guess uh, your boy Jeff Jarrett was there. Uh, maybe you could talk about that with him because they were there and they, they worked on it. But it still, Toby talks about this very day. He calls it a textbook perfect suplex. That's what he delivered. <laughs> Here's a guy that's got more money than Ben Gump, whoever that is. He still talks about a little show that he did and he had fun. It's like the, uh, what's that kid's name? The, the bunny. Yeah. Bad bunny. He did a great job at WrestleMania. Don't you think? Yep. He did. So it showed a commitment to learning his, that craft, that skill set, to the degree he get by with a match. And here we go. The same shit though, man. Only, the only way he gets credibility is to jump off things. Right. What is the fascination with jumping off shit onto another human? that never beats them. Nothing. I don't get it. Conrad, tell me you're smart. You're smarter than I am. Well, I was, you know, you usually let me call the plays here on the show, but next week I was going to have you jump off of your condo yeah. onto a table. Yeah. We're going to put Excalibur on it, <laughs> put him through it. And then we yeah. could yell, or maybe we should do it with Shivani. So Excalibur can still called Shivani's a, Shivani's a softer landing for sure. Even though I love him, uh, yeah, I could call it maybe a Tope El Suicido or something. Tope El Jim Rosso or something. Yeah. Hey, uh, Unforgiven in Toronto yep. sells out the Air Canada Center, and Cena gets his WWE title back by defeating Edge in 25 minutes and 28 seconds. He hits the FU off the top of a ladder through two tables stacked on top of each other. My God, what else can we do? I mean, you just sort of joked about what is the fascination with jumping off things. But when anytime you put edge in a ladder match, there is a, an expectation that it's going to be a big one Yeah, it, from WrestleMania 17 and no mercy and all the crazy stuff he did with the Hardys and the Dudleys. And of course his old pal, Christian, people have a really high expectation. I think this is one of the better singles TLC matches of all time. And it almost feels a little bit like a forgotten one. I think people really lean on the tag matches and perhaps, you know, that's the, that's true with anything. The original always gets the hype, but this was a fantastic match and an incredible performance by both guys. I agree. Yeah. No doubt about it because we were spoiled with uh, the Hardys. by the way, a condolences, uh, several days ago, Matt and Jeff Hardy lost their father, uh, Gilbert, I think was his name. I met him several times. He was a rural male carrier. So if you lived on route three and so-and-so, uh, Mr. Hardy probably put mail in your mailbox. Nice man. Nice man. So my condolences to the Hardy family and all their friends, uh, losing a dad, it's not easy. And, uh, but you know, people are, are so accustomed to seeing the Hardys, Edge and Christian and the Dudleys teams in these TLC matches. It gave you more opportunities. There's more inventory there for crash and burns and more people can jump off shit. So, uh, 
but these two guys, they pulled it off big time and it shows that they got along. It shows they had cooperation it shows they were pros, but I'm with you, Conrad, this, I don't think there was ever a better single singles, right? TLC, TLC match that I can remember seeing in WWE or anywhere. Let's, uh, let's mention that, uh, coming up next, even though Cena won and the stipulation was if Cena loses, he has to go to SmackDown. Well, Cena won, but he's on the second episode of SmackDown. That's now on my network TV. And it's going to be Batista and Lashley, uh, to face Booker T fit Finley and William Regal. Um, anytime you need ratings in this era, it feels like we got Cena behind glass and we just break that glass in case of emergency. Hey, I know you won, but we're still going to put you on SmackDown anyway. Yeah. He, uh, he's box office in that regard. He made people watch, click, tune in, drag, cut, paste, register here, kiss my ass, computer shit. He was a good, he was, he was just, he was automatic. Right. So, uh, and the other thing is my network TV was new. You know, my network TV was not something that had been around for decades and decades where people were used to the, the viewing habits. <clears throat> so consequently, uh, it helped the relationship between WWE and their pretty new broadcast partner. You just, cause it's great PR because not only was Cena over with a lot of fans that weren't chanting Cena sucks, which I still think it was over them too. Uh, but they need to be noticed and, and, and all that raise your hand. Uh, but the, the executives perceive Cena as the guy. So for the guy to be put on your network was a good PR move and help would ho hopefully help, uh, uh, with ratings. And apparently the success that WWE had on my network TV has, has continued to evolve to where they've got great relationships with the universal USA and, uh, of course, Fox. So all those are the right moves. Apparently the Cena was the go-to guy, you know, he, he's our best and it was easy to convince the network you're getting our best guy because we're committed to your, our partnership. We should mention they try something a little different on raw in Oklahoma city, your old stomping grounds. Yep. Cena and Lita one-on-one -on -one in the main event. Cena wins in 47 seconds. <laughs> it, it feels like, man, we're just trying to squeeze every bit of juice possible out of this Cena edge thing, but man versus woman one-on-one. -on -one, I don't know about that, man. what do you think? Uh, lukewarm. Wasn't crazy about it. Don't know who it helped. All it did was exactly what you said. It was a placeholder to continue telling the story of Cena and edge. That's all. And look, seeing Lita in her little, uh, in her wrestling attire. And she had, I always thought Lita had as much natural sex appeal as anybody that we, any female that we had, uh, and still holds, holds that spot pretty, pretty good right now in my view. Uh, so that was kind of nice for 47 seconds. Reminds me of some of my honeymoons, 47 seconds. <laughs> We see Cena team with Batista and Lashley to take on Booker, Finley, and Regal on SmackDown. Lashley gets the pin over Booker. And then we get to a steel cage match once again on Raw. This time it's October 2nd 
And who do you know? It's Edge and Cena. They go 19 minutes and 11 seconds. And uh, Cena gets the win with the FU. It was a really long feud, but it was a good feud that provided a lot of major moments. But it did feel like fans were were tiring of it at the end. Do you think that the old long-term storytelling, because it feels like, you know, what we grew up on 30 years ago, man, they would just, they would go a year with a feud. And now it feels like maybe we all have a shorter attention span because of social media or just the pace of life in, in modern society. It felt like fans were burnt out on this 10 months in here. Uh, I believe that, uh, there are still place for long-term programs. I still think you can have a story that could go a year, but it has to be booked, right? Has to be timely. You have to add different ingredients to your stew. Uh, and you know, you, it's just gotta be, it's gotta be handled, uh, properly. It's not easy. It's not a lay. It's not as easy as it was back in the day. Back in my day, we didn't even have catering. Okay. Right. Tony, Tony Greer there. Uh, but yeah, it can, it can be done, but it's gotta be done carefully. And it's, you've got to change things up. You got to, you, you can start here where I am. There I am. You start here and then you're gonna to have to blow off over here. And so to do that, you need to change the story up a little bit with some new players and some new ingredients as I mentioned regarding the soup, but it's not easy. It's not easy, but it can be done if done properly. But it's much more challenging today because of what you said. Well, I've already seen that match. And when somebody says I've already seen that match sometime, Conrad, it means to me that you're very much a novice. Yeah. Uh, and you really don't get it. That the best stories are ones that are have a nice uh arc, a long arc. Uh and and uh so that could be a year or whatever. You know, look at how long Austin and McMahon had their rivalry. Oh yeah. They changed ingredients. They had rock in it and they had somebody else, triple H in it. And they kept adding things, but it still was a long, long story arc that it, because it was done properly and the talents involved in the casting of such, or the booking, if you will, uh, it, it worked. So uh, I'm with you on that deal. Let's talk about, uh, the raw family reunion. It's really done to kick off a quote unquote new season for raw. And we have John Cena taking on the undertaker. It's a big match for a big show, special attraction match. If you will, why don't you think we ever got them in a bigger program? It feels like undertaker and Cena, they could have had one hell of a long-term program, but it just never really happened. I think part of it might be to protect the undertaker and his baby face status. Okay. Uh, and he would have been the baby face, but it would have killed. It would have further, uh, put another shovel full of dirt on John Cena's baby face run. Yeah. I just don't think it, it just didn't seem the right, right thing to do at that point in time. And, you know, people kept waiting for Cena's going to turn heel. Cena's going to, all this, he'll have to turn heel here. I know he will. Uh, everybody's doing their booking. Uh, so I, I thought that, uh, I think that it was to protect Taker a little bit and to protect John. So, uh, but you're right. It would have been a very interesting attraction. And I thought it would have been, uh, very well received, but you got to protect both guys because of who they are 
what they represent, etc. Next up, we've got K fed Kevin Federline debuting on raw from the Staples center as a friend of Johnny nitro and Molina. Uh, and then cyber Sunday, we have three brand champions. We've got ECW's big show Raw's John Cena and SmackDown's Booker T uh, all facing off. I mean, I understand the company was trying to make a, a big push for a brand split and create different unique identities. And perhaps, you know, we can get some fandom behind those individual brands and maybe try to recreate or replicate the success of the Monday night war. But this just feels underwhelming for what it should be. In my opinion, what say you, do you think that all three of those guys were on a roll when they met, when they wrestled? I don't No. So you come in with a flat build. Uh, that's what you got. I also think that part of this booking was, uh, to, to feature Booker T as a great African-American champion. And that was nothing that was, uh, that any territory or promotion ever overused cause you know, African-Americans are only really going to go so high on the card, you know, and, and there's only going to be so many of them on the card. Thank God that's changed. Uh, so I think that's been one of the great improvements in our business is, uh, the racial equality and giving everybody, no matter their skin color, the opportunity to be a star. If you got it in you, the last thing you want is to have your skin, skin color affect that on anything in life, quite frankly. Uh, so I think it's had this booking Conrad had several agendas and, uh, and, and I think they're all pretty damn good. Booker T for what that was good stuff. Cena was the incumbent and then big show was an attraction who could beat anybody because of nothing else but his sheer size and his right hand punch. So I think the match had checked a lot of different boxes. Uh, but if there, none of them, the three guys were hot, right. And had the momentum going in, he was going to come off as less than it's supposed to be. Let's talk about, um, the match itself, cyber Sunday, I guess, before we do, we should do this backstage promo discussion. Booker T asked Cena if they can work together. And Cena says, if I get one night with Charmel, Booker <laughs> sends Charmel outside and Booker agrees. And then Cena says he's not interested. So he walks out and tells Charmel the deal is on for Finley's midget Charmel. Jim Duggan's two by four and several other things. Jim, the fuck is this? Who booked this shit? I don't know, man. It's so illogical. I'm almost embarrassed to talk about it. You know, uh, now you can make a reason for it. You know, uh, Bruce, my good friend, Bruce Pritchard, uh, would, would try to make, he might try to justify some WWE logic or philosophy, but he's not going to be sold on it either. Right. Uh, it, it was distasteful. Uh, it was disrespectful. And I thought Cena was the baby face. Is he not? Yep. Is that what baby faces do? I want to have sex with your wife. Did you get a stand in that's vertically challenged? And, and I, I still don't get the goddamn two before. So I don't know. I, I didn't, 
I don't know if anybody liked that. But there again, it's, it's full speed ahead because apparently, you know, you know, Vince loved this idea. Oh, yeah. And nobody's going to say anything. They're not going to say shit with a mouthful. That's an old school saying. Yep. So that's kind of how that worked. I didn't like it. Well, let's talk about the match itself. Booker actually pinned Cena to retain his world heavyweight title after KFED interferes. What do you remember about Federline? How was he to deal with? I wasn't around him very much, but he seemed to be personable. Uh, duck out of water, fish out of water, uh, whatever out of water. Uh, my most vivid memory of KFED was one of my most heartbreaking nights of my life. Cause we were doing January 1st in Miami, Cena and KFED. I hadn't asked for a day off in forever. Maybe I don't think ever, quite frankly, don't tell me I was off when I was sick and, uh, I didn't want to be off then, but I wanted to be off on this night because Oklahoma played Boise state on the Fiesta bowl and we got beat heartbreaking should have won. Uh, and. But, you know, Vince said to me, I, cause I asked, Hey, what boss, I'd like to have this Monday off or whatever. Oh no, I can't do that. Jr. Why? Oh, I need you for this match. I got to have you call case. You're the only guy that could call K fed and, and John, we got to protect John. You know, you sure there's nobody else in the world. <laughs> I should have asked her. I should have asked for a new contract or something. I didn't right. know I was that valuable. So pay me more. So that was what I remember about it. He seemed like a decent guy, fish out of water. Didn't know wasn't overly athletic, but he wasn't horrible. He wasn't blue bunny or what's his name? Bad bunny. Blue bunny's an ice cream, I think. Uh, but he wasn't, he wasn't on the level of bad bunny. Cause I don't think he worked that hard to get ready. Right. So Cena pulled that thing through and got that deal done. But that's what I mostly remember about, uh, uh, that experience with K fed. I had rather have been in Phoenix watching the football game and my team get, you know, there's a hobnail boot stuck in their heart as opposed to trying to make sense out of KFED and uh, John Cena. But as uh, it was reported, I was there, I did my job and I hurried back to the hotel. Lawler gave me a ride back to the hotel cause he's going to use it, going to his condo and, and Fort Myers. I ran to my room. Well, I took an elevator. Uh, me running up 20 flights of stairs, probably not a cool thing. I would have got there by the end of the game anyway. So I got to watch the fourth quarter and I, I ravaged the uh, liquor cat, the liquor bar. I was drinking shit that I've never even tried to drink before. I was trying to numb myself after seeing what was happening. And so that was the story of that deal. And I, for some reason, I remember, I don't know where we went the next day, but I remember being on a flight with China. I thought, I felt like, I think it was her. I think that's when that was things start running together, but nonetheless, uh, I'd rather been somewhere else, but Hey, look, I never thought the, I didn't know K fed was that big a star. Did you know he was that big a star? Well, yeah, he was a pop culture thing. Just FYI, you were thinking of a different night where you raided the mini bar and, uh, hung out with China the next day because she was gone in like, Oh, one. So, Oh yeah, it was then. Yeah. I'm sorry. Either way though, let's talk about how that whole Federline thing happened. Cena would save Maria from an attack by Umaga 
and then accept Federline's challenge for a match at New Year's Day's Raw starting in 2007. Yeah. Um, I want to mention around this time, the Marine is going to come out. So because of that movie coming out, Cena's got to do press, and he does it everywhere. Like Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Live with Regis and Kelly, Mad TV, The Howard Stern Show, The Best uh, Damn Sports Show, period. There's not been many better ambassadors for the company than John Cena. Can we never? Yeah. Yeah. Never. And he never turned nothing down, but the covers. He, he was booked. He was going to go. He was always going to try to, uh, promote the company and its various projects. And so, uh, it, nobody worked harder that I that I was ever around in WWE, the John Cena, his work ethic was uh, Herculean, uh, at least. So, uh, he, he was always that guy. Well, you know, and he, and because it was his first movie, he was all gung ho about promoting it as he should be. And the fact that it wasn't a, it wasn't a stinker. He did a nice job now as we've already discussed. So, uh, but nobody that I can recall in WWE, the annals of WWE, I was there 26 years starting in 1993. Nobody worked harder or really is in the same conversation than John Cena, as it relates to, uh, doing extra work and always being there. He may go do media all day. Then when he got to the arena, guess what? He's got to make a wish to do. That's just him. Survivor series, 2006 back in Philadelphia. Cena's going to team with Kane, Bobby Lashley, Rob Van Dam and Sabu. They're going to take on big, uh, big show, Umaga, Finley, MVP and test Umaga's DQ just 50 seconds in for attacking Cena and Rob Van Dam with a monitor and Cena is uh, involved. And only the finish where he hits the FU on Big Show to get the win for his team and be the final survivor. What'd you think of these elimination style survivor series matches? Did you like it? Or too old school. <clears throat> I, if the participants in said match had issues that were, that were more than one pairing deep, I liked them. If there was a story behind the teams and how the teams get together, and they weren't overtly random. I liked it. What I remember about that, uh, is the fact that Cena's image, the image of Cena, uh, F Ewing big show was incredible. Absolutely incredible. It, it again, it put Cena's strength over, you know, and he was, he's a, he was ox strong. And so, uh, I remember that, that aspect of it. So I remember the finish. So apparently it's pretty good booking. I still remember that finish because his legs are shaking and a big show probably was well north of 400 pounds at that time. Right. So it's pretty damn impressive to say the very least, but I like the teams. If the teams have some sort of synergy, if they're just names put together, uh, it's just a big old tag match. Well, the next night on raw, Umaga is going to lay Cena out. So at this point, Cena's in a program with Umaga and Kevin Federline, who I guess has Johnny Nitro with him. Uh, it's announced that SmackDown's Armageddon pay-per-view Cena will team with Batista to face Booker and Finley. Is this one of those, uh, Hey, uh, ratings are down. Let's put Cena behind glass. Let's break that glass. We need John Cena again. Yeah. He's reliable. He should go to simple as that. Give him the ball. Yeah. 
you get in the red zone. Who's going to carry the ball? Najee Harris or some uh, red shirt. It's going <laughs> to be John Cena or in this analogy or illustration, Najee Harris. Who I like, by the way, I think he's going to be a, a great pro. I really do. Now, it's announced that, um, Cena is going to be defending his WWE title in a master lock challenge against Chris masters. And then Cena put him in the master lock. So at this point, Cena is like the central point of most of what's happening on raw. You know, we've mentioned, he's got something going on with K fed. He's got something going on with Umaga. Uh, he's right in the middle of things on SmackDown with Batista. And now he's got this master lock. It feels like at this point, Cena is almost the sun and the rest of the roster is sort of revolving around him in terms of the booking. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. No different than Austin. No different than Hogan. No different than Bruno. He was the it guy was John Cena. And because one reason he was reliable and he delivered consistently. Uh, tributes to the troops is taped and Cena defeats edge in Iraq. JR, you went on some of these trips, didn't you? What did John nope. think about performing for the troops? I never went on one trip, Conrad. Do you regret not going? Yeah. I was always ready to go. I would have, I would have enjoyed the experience and in interacting with our fighting men and women that were representing our country and keeping us safe and doing their work in less than ideal circumstances. Cause a lot of those guys, I'm, I'm a firm believer that didn't know why the hell they were in Iraq in the first place. So that's just my personal opinion, but I'd love to have gone on those trips. You know, that was, a, I think the, uh, tribute to the troops thing was a JBL idea. It's a great PR, uh, vehicle to say the right. least. And congratulations, J, JBL's in the hall of fame. Now, the only thing about that, I, I didn't understand why JBL didn't wear his hat. He carried it with him. I don't understand that. It, it, I think he would have been perfectly in character for him to wear his hat and not necessarily because I'm a hat snob, but that's he was known for, you know, that hat was a big deal. Part of his, his, uh, presentation, his presentation, his persona. Uh, but you know, I didn't get to go on those trips. I, I, I would have loved to, uh, ironically, Joey styles did. He went on one of them and uh, we talked about that. I was a, uh, Interesting experience, to say the least. It's very uncustomary what they're doing and how they're traveling and security risk and uh, all these things. So, uh, I just I think if the uh, Iraqi people, the army, the bad guys, realized how much publicity they would have received if they had done something heinous to these WWE guys. Thank God they didn't. Uh, that that would have been more of a uh, you know, more of a risk, but I wish I could have made some of those trips. I, I would have, I would have loved it. It would have been, it'd been a lot of fun and just interacting with the, with the troops would have been a cool opportunity. It would have been an honor, quite frankly. Cena appears on a SmackDown episode to build up his Armageddon main event in Boston, which I guess is his quote unquote hometown. There's an interesting little bit here where Cena hugs his dad and then gives Michael Cole everything he asked for on Christmas. A hard salami, a topless photo of David Hasselhoff and a bag <laughs> of salty nuts. Uh, Cena really fit in with that sort of tongue in cheek type humor. I dug it. What'd you think? I liked it too. 
better good old Michael Cole than me, but uh, it still would have been funny. It might have even been funnier. Hell, I don't know. The topless photo of David Hasselhoff uh, is somewhat homophobic, but nonetheless, and I guess the bag of salty nuts has some other sort of unique symbolism. Uh, but uh, John has a great sense of humor. And you see that now in all the commercials. He's, he's on commercials. It seems like a, every other commercial break, John's doing something. Uh, and he's got a show on TBS, which is kind of cool. Our sister network of uh, TNT. So he, he was very good at this. It showed his versatility, Conrad. It showed his range. He just wasn't the angry, I've been wrong, or the odds are against me, baby face. He had a sense of humor. If he had not had such a great sense of humor, uh, all these boos and this disrespect that he was getting for seemingly no reason. I'm sure some fans are going to listen to this and maybe they'll explain to you and I why th they were booing John Cena back in that era. I would assume. So I, I don't know the reason. The only thing you can say is, well, we were, we were just tired of him. You got to come and come at me with something better than that. You know, we're just tired of it. Uh, then why didn't you, you he's the, and he's the only guy on the roster that you were tired of. So anyhow, uh, great sense of humor. And he used it when he, when he was able to use it, he delivered again, he delivered. In Armageddon, we see Cena and Batista, uh, defeat Booker and Finley when Batista pins Booker had SmackDown just clearly become the number two show was Batista not, um, carrying the load in Vince McMahon's eyes. Why the need to inject Cena so often into Batista's show? Cause it was less risk. Cena had, had, had traveled the roads as a top guy, uh, from day one, uh, when he finally got on TV, he was always taken care of. Well, I think Dave Batista was still finding himself to some degree, uh, and wasn't as good then as he would eventually be. So I think that's part of it. Cena was less risk Conrad, pretty simple. A three-hour Raw coming off of Armageddon is scheduled, and Edge wins a 30-man battle royal to gain a shot at John Cena's WWE title, and then Cena would pin Edge in 14 minutes and seven seconds with a whole bunch of interference from Randy Orton, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and Umaga, and it's announced that later on there will be a six-man tag match to main event. So let's recap. Edge's battle royal goes 30 minutes, then he works Cena for 14 minutes, and now in the main event, they're going to go seven minutes before it turns into a schmoz. <clears throat> Boy, Edge earned his money that day, did he not? He did, yeah. And never never bitched or complained a bit. That's the he last said, John Cena we're going to see on TV before the end of the year. Overall, what did you think of John's 2006 and how he held himself as champion with Edge and Rob Van Dam and all the moving and shaking here throughout the year? Very, very admirable. I don't know that we had anybody on the roster that could have pulled it off better than John Cena, uh, hard work. It wasn't easy. He was being asked a lot was being asked of John in a variety of platforms, whether it be promotion, selling live event tickets, promoting a movie, uh, his make a wish, uh, endeavors and his schedule. You know, he didn't ask for time off. Uh, he just was, he was beautiful to work with in that regard. Uh, and I thought, John's 2006 was, uh, exemplary, quite frankly, considering you know, we talk about loading somebody's plate. You and I load our plates every day. 
<laughs> Especially around lunchtime. That's right. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, buddy boy. So, uh, but I was very proud of John and the, not only the man that he was, but the professional and the performer that he evolved into being, uh, again, 2006 was, I think the company made some money, uh, and, uh, they can look at the John Cena's work as one of the primary reasons for that. Let's talk about the, uh, the stats raw started the year off on January 2nd with a 3.7 rating. The highest it would get would be four weeks later, January 30th. It got a 4.5. We closed the year out with John Cena on raw on December 18th. The episode from the 25th was just a recap show and that it's a 3.5. We pretty much stay steady all year. There are some peaks and valleys, but we don't quite crack the number four after August 21st. But in terms of television ratings, it seems like in 2006, Cena carried the whole show on his back. Would you agree with that? Don't worry about the meals, Conrad. Just load the wagon. And God knows that John Cena's wagon was loaded. I remember Vince and I having a few conversations about, you know, you think we should, you know, I, I mentioned and Vince mentioned to me, do you think we should take better care of him on his schedule? And absolutely. Or he's going to burn out or he might get fatigue, get hurt, whatever the case may be. But he never, he never, John Cena never came to me one time and asked for time off. He was ready to work. It's game day. Let's go play. So, uh, but to say that, did he, was he the reason for those ratings holding up? I'd give you an emphatic. Yes, absolutely. Cause look at all the talents he touched. Look at all the guys he worked with. All you know, he helped make edge. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about how big of a draw he was. New year's revolution did 345,000 buys and he's main eventing the Royal rumble has 585,000 buys Cena in the main event, WrestleMania 22, 975 Cena in the main event backlash with Cena in the main event, 230. one night stand with Cena on top 304 SummerSlam 541 with Cena on top unforgiven 307,000. Cyber Sunday, 228 and Armageddon, 239. Those are all main evented by John Cena. Now the shows that were not main evented that year, 218 for No Way Out, 252 for Judgment Day, 429 for Vengeance, 232 for Great American Bash. Uh, no Mercy was 197. Survivor Series was 383. And of course, regrettably, December to Dismember was just 90,000. I, I don't think there's an argument here. Johnson is the biggest pay-per-view draw for the entire year. We broke down the ratings, but the buys tell the same story. It doesn't feel like his career slowing down at all, because by the way, when he did all of this, he also had to this day, probably the highest grossing WWE movie of all time in the Marine one banner year for Mr. John Cena here in 06. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Hall of fame here. If he, if he quit retired, took a sabbatical, whatever, left the business after 2006. He's obviously still a first team hall of famer. His contributions to the bottom line, as our old friend Stone Cold would say, uh, well-documented bottom line Conrad here is that the numbers don't lie. Right. And everything you, you so accurately, uh, talked about and addressed John Cena, uh, was the guy that kept the boat afloat. In 2006, now he didn't dance 
he didn't play acapella. He didn't, he had, he had dancing partners that were very good, but he made them better. And even if he was getting all these booze, what that means in general wrestling psychology is that some people would have been happy to see him lose the title. Right. And, and to, to get on the, the short end of the stick, that's what he had. He, he, people made an emotional investment in John Cena positively or negatively. And you're, you're my eyes, but the bottom line is, is that he contributed, he contributed mightily, uh, to the profitability of WWE in 2006 hall of fame year for a hall of fame guy. And we'll be back next week for backlash 2001 on top. It's the two man power trip challenging the brothers of destruction for the tag titles. We've also got a triple threat for the European title with Matt Hardy, Christian, and Eddie Guerrero, a last man standing match with big show and Chris Benoit. An ultimate submission match with Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle. William Regal will be wrestling Chris Jericho in a Duchess of Queensbury rules match, which sounds kind of fun. Rhino and Raven are in there for the hardcore championship. We've got the X Factor taking on the Dudley Boys in a six-man tag, and it's all coming your way next week. It went down at one of our favorite arenas, the Allstate Arena right there at the Ro- former Rosemont Horizon, just outside of Chicago. It's hard to believe this was 20 years ago, Jim, oh, but we're talking about it next week. But what we're going to talk about now, grilling JR and all the great barbecue products that you can get at jrsbbq.com. The name of our show is Grilling JR. That's how much Jim loves grilling, and it's time to sauce it, baby. Tell them where to go. All the sauce at jrsbbq.com. You know, I want to explain something regarding we, uh, we've had a run on products, and unfortunately for us, we didn't forecast uh, at jrsbbq.com, uh, the, the amount of business that we were going to have. And so we kind of fumbled inside the red zone on having enough inventory. We just, we weren't able cause we'd never had that much success, uh, as we're having that we're going to run out of product, uh, primarily the all purpose seasoning. Uh, and then of course the, and then the, and the, and the mustard, uh, we think we have those issues addressed. Uh, the issue of the all-purpose seasoning was that we, we did order it way in advance. We did a backup order. We got another backup order in, uh, but you know, this was a manufacturer's issue that was beyond our control. Uh, I'm not passing a buck. It still ends with me. Uh, I, I, it's got my name on it. And so I'll take responsibility, but, uh, they had a trouble with some, uh, their line, uh, uh, technically, uh, breaking down some parts or whatever. In any event, we're told that any day now, I'm not going to give you a date, but I I think before the end of the month of April, we'll have everything back in stock. And I hope folks will just be patient with us. We've got JR's original, which is our top seller and and the hot barbecue sauce. We've got ketchup. We've got beef jerky. It's all good. We've got signed books and all that can be found at jrsbbq.com. And the great thing about it, Conrad, as I've mentioned here, Quasi tongue in cheek, but it's a shoot, brother. Because I need my push. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, that uh, we're still going to be competitive. Customer service is imperative for us. And I just wish we hadn't had these interruptions in service. Uh, quite frankly, kind of like you talked about your direct TV. Direct TV is a wonderful thing until it storms. Right. You can't, what can Conrad do about the weather? Nada, nothing. You just gotta, you gotta work through it. So that's what we're doing. 
we appreciate everybody's patience. Uh, so, and it costs nothing to look. So check it out, go to the site, move around, see what we got. Cause we've still got a lot of great stuff in stock. So I appreciate that. And, and, you know, I just signed, I think, uh, about a, probably a hundred books wow. here in the last several hours. Uh, so we're still personalizing and signing, uh, uh, knocker and, uh, under the black hat. And of course, you know, that we have, uh, under the black hat is now out in paperback. It, it looks kind of like this. There you go. Can you see that? Yes, sir. Beautiful. What a handsome man. Wrong. So all good. So, uh, it's, it's good. It's good. Every time we send out an order, I, I think it, my mom and, and, and my little Jan are looking down and kind of smiling mischievously because their ideas are working. I just got, we just got to do a better job with our inventory control, but sometimes things happen. They're just completely out of your control. We didn't know our bar, our, our, our seasoning people were going to have trouble with their manufacturing line, but they're addressing it. It's human error. It's where it goes. So we're, we're we'll be there, but we appreciate everybody's business. Quite frankly, it's, I'm very grateful and I'm grateful to us, you and me, that we get a chance to talk about it here occasionally. Uh, and, uh, it's a good thing. So all good folks, it's grilling season. Conrad and I both are active grillers. Uh, I like to eat healthier as does Conrad. And grilling is a healthy way of going about your groceries. Well, it's also fun too. You know, I had some Italian sausage and some chicken breasts on the grill last night. It was coated up with JR's all purpose seasoning. I loaded up before there was a run on the store, so to speak. It's can't miss folks. You don't want to miss it. And you don't want to miss next week right here. Backlash 2001. So if you haven't already do these two things right now, go to jrsbbq.com and load up. It's grilling season, daddy. And don't forget, you get all these shows that Jim and I do early and ad-free over at adfreeshows.com. Until next time, he is at JR's BBQ. I am at Hey, Hey, It's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. And don't forget, my voice can be heard every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, 7 central on good old TNT. Love your support, everybody. And Conrad, remember, a little extra heavy on the, on the mister. Thank you. Yes, sir. <laughs> John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.